Look this is just going to be a, psych, a Cyclops rant discussion. Like, yeah. it's going to be two hours of us being like, uh, you guys being like, man, Cyclops sucks. And I'm going to be like, yeah, but like, he's one of, he's one, he's, uh, he's one of the X-Men. Come on. He's, and like, it's just going to yeah. be that. Yeah. He's a good <laughs> member of the X-Men. So I can't, yeah. I can't fault him for that. Yeah. Like, he yeah. has, yeah. like, in any X-Men, like, cool lineup in my mm-hmm. mind, no matter which version you look at, Cyclops still has to be there. I don't have to yeah. know him, but he has to be no. there. No. You're exactly right. And in fairness to the character, Professor X has done him wrong so many times. Um, in like the very first run, in like the first like 10 issues, at one point, Professor X just outs and he's like, Cyclops, you're in charge. And he's a child. Why were you letting him? <laughs> what? That's not responsible. <laughs> like, yeah. No, uh, Cyclops yeah. got a raw deal from a lot of people. All right, we are live again with another episode of The Keeg Live. I'm your host, Dimitra Pereira, and today we are talking about uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe and, uh, like, that's simple enough. We're also talking about how race applies with it, how it intersects both past, present, and future of that Marvel MCU. Uh, Once again, yes, I'm your host, Dimitra Pereira, and I can't talk about this alone. That's why I've brought together two amazing guests to talk to me about these specifics, and uh, hopefully we get into the nitty-gritty, because that's kind of what they're here for. Uh, First, I have uh, film producer, film editor, uh, uh, filmmaker... It's an all-encompassing title. Uh, I've had him on his on this show before, Terrell Charles. Terrell, how's it going? Hey, man, good. Thanks for having me, man. I'm good, I'm good. Uh, I realized that my uh, my video setup right now has the wrong name uh, for everybody, but no, now we're back to normal, so <laughs> I think we're good. Ah, technology, Terrell, uh, you doing good over there? Yeah, I'm good, man. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Uh, uh, you know, all, all things considered, 2021's interesting. It's mm-hmm. on its up and on the up and up. I don't know. Slight, what slight year is it? Slight improvement from 2020. I feel yeah. like about uh, Yeah, I, I I was talking about it with people, and uh, uh, 2021's kind of the rebound after a a bad relationship, right? With 2020, and then 2021, it's not gonna last. But like. We're getting over yeah. the hurt that we yeah. had. So nice that's play. the way I've been thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my second guest for today uh, is Dr. Gabriel A. Cruz, college uh, college lecturer, uh, uh, man around town. Uh, how's it going, Gabe? I'm good, uh, Dimitri. How are you doing? Doing good. Uh, I will fix this uh, display. If anyone's watching this, uh, we are streaming to four different platforms, uh, but our main boo, our main squeeze is uh, volume.com. Uh, it's that uh, streaming platform uh, that's uh, less about gaming, it's more about uh, performance, musicians, singers, niche geek content. That's that's our corner over here. Uh, Gabe, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. Uh, both you and Terrell uh, have uh, amazing TikToks where you talk about all sorts of things, um, uh, including uh, kind of the, the topics that we, you know, we're talking about today. You guys have, uh, I dare to say you guys have tackled everything on your guys' TikToks, but uh, 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 you do tackle a good amount. Uh, so thank you both of you for, for coming on the show and being a part of this. Yeah, thank you for having us. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see. 
we got uh, a couple of users out there that are watching. We got Marcus Pineapple out there saying, woo, how's it going? Uh, it's, it's going good, and it's going to continue to go good, hopefully. Uh, we got Mr. Plow out there. Uh, there's uh, McFly Margot. Uh, oh, okay, that's Margot, uh, I think, one of, one of Terrell's friends. Yeah, from the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, yeah, that, yeah. Uh, we had we had Terrell on a previous episode, well, a couple of episodes, but the Falcon and Winter Soldier episode, uh, we used to have an after show, Gabe, uh, mm-hmm. and it, it was at 1 a.m. Uh, Pacific time, which would have been like however many time zones away. Yeah. yeah, and Terrell just happened to have a day off of work, so it was morning for him. And uh, I think Margot didn't watch the Falcon Winter Soldier episode, but then came onto the chat, and it was yeah. like we were like, oh, "Why? Why aren't you watching it?" Um, it got you know, no. it got heated. She's a, she's a supportive uh, friend. She's seen it now though. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's good. So we can spoil everything, yeah. uh, which is actually interesting. Falcon Winter Soldier will probably pop up uh, uh, in this. Well, it'll definitely pop up uh, in this episode, especially given the subject matter uh, that we have. Um, uh, with, with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, it's been around for years now, right? 12 years has it been? Uh, 2008, right? Yeah. 2008? So, I think 2008 was the first. 13? Yeah. Okay. So, 13 years. Um, and obviously it's based off of, uh, Marvel Comics, uh, before that, right? Starting in, I would say the 60s, but Captain America, obviously 40s. Uh, there's certain characters that are from the 40s. And uh, when it comes to adapting race and racial relate uh, r- racial uh, 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 re- race relations and, and racial issues into the comics, I want to say they're doing their best. Uh, but you know, uh, uh, it, it's been a long it's been a long process, just like in society. But this is you know uh, the medium of comics uh, uh, does its part. Um, uh, I hate to throw a big ball, but uh, to you guys. But uh, do, do you guys do you guys read the comics, or is it just the MCU? Or uh, you know, Gabe, you read the comics? Yeah. So I'm sorry, I totally dropped the ball when you introduced me earlier. I should have said that I study comics. This is a thing that I do. Um, in fact, uh, on yeah. one of these bookshelves up here, I got a dissertation where I read uh, the deep dive on a, on a handful of different Marvel characters and that kind yeah. of thing, uh, and then wrote yeah. a stupid amount of pages on it. So yeah, no, I um. I, I do read the comics. I am much more of a Marvel fan than I am a DC. I like DC, but uh, for whatever reason, maybe it was because I watched the X-Men animated series back in the 90s. You know, Marvel just sort of imprinted on me that way. Um, oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> but, yeah, so, um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm a fan of the comics. And, uh, you know, I have my Marvel Unlimited, uh, which is uh, a necessity. So, yeah. Um, uh, yes, that's right. You do uh, – I know that you read comics – uh, uh, everybody, everybody out there is a mix of uh, whether they read comics or they just watch the MCU stuff, uh, you know, uh, so on and so forth. Uh, Terrell, I, that you, I'm not sure. Do you read the comics? I read the comics. I read the comics since I was. I, I keep I, the, the number was changes. I'm gonna say eight. That sounds like a good round number to, from when I started. Okay. Because they're like my first comic books were like early Spider-Man comics, similar to you, Gabe. Like the, mm-hmm. like the 90s Spider-Man cartoon imprinted on me. Um, and then subsequently the comics, the movies. Yeah. Well, it, yeah, it never stops. Basically, um, I just went stops collecting physical, and I got Marvel Unlimited as well. Um, yeah. yeah, I agree. Necessity. If you want to like explore every angle of Marvel without diving through like the long catalog inside a comic book shop, then Marvel Unlimited. It's, it's that's 
that's the lead. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Marvel yeah. comics from from long, very very long time. Not yeah. DC as well, but Marvel was like that took my soul. When I yeah. when I was a kid, my grandfather handed me a stack of when I was like ten years old. My grandfather handed me a stack of comics that, quite honestly, a ten year old should not have had access to. But from there. <laughs> Yeah, like there was like some old X-Men <laughs> comics, like uh, God, Turok, Dinosaur Hunter, and like um, that's also oh, where yeah. I got introduced to the reign of the Superman, which, you know, as like a 10 year old watching a variation of uh, Superman just like murder civilians with their flamethrowers, <laughs> a totally foundational <laughs> moment of my life. Um, <laughs> what I'm saying is be careful about what In you the do. best costume <laughs> change. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, Frank Cumberland didn't leave my mind. So confused. I was like, is he yeah. cold? Why is he wearing the hat? <laughs> <laughs> Um, as far as Marvel Comics is concerned, um, uh, uh, since you guys have been reading it for a while, uh, like who, who is your favorite Marvel comic character? Um, um, uh, we'll go Gabe first. I'm very interested, uh, to hear about your, your love for that, for that comic. So, so I got, I got two and both of them tie a little bit to what we're talking about today with the issue of like race and stuff. So, um, they're both X-Men. The first one was Gambit because I'm a Southerner born in the American South and Gambit, you know, is one, that accent is terrible, but that aside, you know, he was like smooth and charming and like, you know, he could talk to girls and that was a superpower in and of itself. And so all that sort of thing. Right? So I loved Gambit <laughs> yeah. as a kid. Kind of like, oh man, that's, that's the Southerner I want to be. Now as an adult, it's like, Gambit's not a healthy man. That old boy's working through some stuff. Um, yeah. <laughs> as an emotionally mature adult. Maybe Gambit should talk to a therapist. Um, but on the other hand, uh, Nightcrawler is my boy uh, because Nightcrawler, especially in like the um, X-Men evolution run of him, but in particular, you know, like in comics and stuff, he is a white-coated character, right? So he's German. He has the accent. He has the mannerisms. He speaks in a very certain way, but he's also, he looks like a demon. And so uh, he's also Catholic, which I am, uh, not to the point of joining the priesthood like he did, but all the same. Yeah. Um, so, but that, di- that, that balance between being um, coded white, because I'm biracial, grew up in a large, in a lot of different, you know, white environments and speaking the way that I do and the mannerisms and whatnot, but at the same time, not being allowed to be the same way that he wasn't allowed to be a normal human. So like in the yeah. X-Men Evolution series, he has a holographic uh, watch, right? That makes him appear as a, as a white male. And so as a right. kid who was caught between two worlds, I thought this, not obviously intentionally, but certainly later on, this was what occurred to me. He's like, that's, that's who I wanted to be as, the, as someone who was just accepted by the mainstream society and allowed to be a part of. Um, man, that got sad real quick. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to go there. <laughs> but also teleporting is super cool. I could save so much on gas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I always, uh, always, I always think that Nightcrawler is one of my one of my favorites. And and what's very interesting, and I'm sure we'll get to it. Uh, uh, I love X Men. X Men's my absolute favorite. Uh, and and X Men does a really. Uh, they're at ninety nine percent. There's a to get to a hundred percent. There's a thought I have about the X Men comics, but ninety nine percent, like they're always the most progressive. They, they have allegories for so many different issues. Uh, uh, I feel like certain writers go, of, of Marvel go to X-Men to write those stories. And when they write them well, they write them well. And some people miss the mark uh, on certain stories. I'm like, oh, I don't know what you were trying to go for there. Uh, but X-Men's always been my favorite uh, of, of DC or Marvel. I read both, but X-Men is my number one. And they're very diverse. They're not only diverse by sake of being mutants, 
And in mm. the beginning, they kind of leaned on that because they had a five all white lineup essentially with uh, the original five X Men and mm-hmm. six and seventh X Men are all that until like giant size X Men number one um, when they get like really international. But X Men has mm-hmm. always been my favorite, uh, and uh, I love them. And Storm is is probably my number one. Uh, just yeah. Storm's just all around amazing in everything she does. Mm-hmm. Uh, Terrell, who are your who are your favorites? I feel like I, I wish I would. I, I love the X Men, and I've been annoyed and like, oh, why is it my in X Men too? Because I could have gone in on like how much I also love Storm and Nightcrawler and Wolverine, yeah. Iceman, and all like some of my favorite X Men over the years. Yeah. However, as alluded to before, Spider Man, particular Peter Parker, this, my I, I kind of have two, and there's kind of a reason for it. So. For the majority of my childhood, yeah, Peter Parker Spider-Man was like my like undeniable, like there was no competition whatsoever. Like I loved this guy. I loved his the very I loved his high school stories. I loved his adult stories. I loved like even the bad stories. I was still like, yeah, that 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 that's still a pretty good one, you know. Okay, cool. The devil wipes away the memories of everyone from the sea. It's pretty bad, but <laughs> it's kind of fun. It's interesting. I was I always ride with Spider-Man. In particular, yeah. my first Spider-Man, like Spider-Man comics that I consistently followed every time they dropped was the Ultimate Comics. I think that was my first ever Spider-Man. And that's like the year mm. 2000, I think, when the first yeah. Ultimate, Ultimate Comics mm-hmm. Spider-Man. So that was my guy. And then at some point over the years, they decided in that universe anyway to kill off Peter Parker, which was yeah. a little bit of a shock for, for a young man just lo- loving Peter Parker at that, at that point. I was like, I might have to hop over back to Earth-616 because my Peter Parker just died and I don't know what to do here. Yeah. Um, however, then they introduced Miles Morales, and that was a level of like bonding with a character that I did not know I could have. Like I love Spider-Man because I was always with Spider-Man. I was also kind of like that sort of nerd in school, not too like bumbly, like stereotypical, but like uh socially awkward kind of a person and stuff. Like, I was identified with that. Uh, but then seeing like a young uh black character who was also like Peter Parker in the in the sort of socially awkward nerd thing, but also the way he kind of carried himself, I identified with immediately the way he, his style was, the way he visually was portrayed. Everything about Miles Morales, I was like, no, this is my Spider-Man. This is my guy. And like every Ultimate Spider-Man comic from Miles Morales, I followed, like I caught up so much with. And then the 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 unthinkable happened and Marvel said, let's just bring him into the main universe. And I was like, yeah, you did it. You did it in a messy way, but I'm glad you did it. I'm still fine with yeah. it. <laughs> Um, yeah, so kind of the two friends. Does like I historically was always been Peter Barker, but he shares the spotlight now with Miles Morales, my favorite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I'm willing to overlook yeah. the the messy way in which they did the the Marvel six one six Ultimate Fusion for one reason and one reason alone. We got to see Doctor Doom murder Cyclops, <laughs> doing the Lord's work in like with Cyclops <laughs> with the Phoenix Force and just. Oh, that! Oh, I, I hate that man so much. I, <laughs> oh, are you not a fan? Of, are you not a fan of Cyclops? He's the most punchable character I've ever come across. I'm like, so glad you're saying this. He I'm is so every Cyclops is every team leader I've had in school, having to work on a group project with some kid who wants to be in charge but don't listen to nobody. Like, yes. And also, like, I just, I got, again, I did a deep dive on, like, Jean Grey and Mystique for my PhD dissertation. And I came away with a foundational hate 
for Cyclops that I already had a little bit of, and then just even more so. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. But 100%. I, so whenever I bring that up, especially like, I don't know how Dimitri's going to react to this now, so especially to like, hem, like hardcore X Men fans, I'm like, I love the X Men. Cyclops is the worst, though. I just, he's so irritating. Mm. And, and what's annoying is like, obviously, the comics might portray him one way, and that's kind of how I, how I read him to get irritated. In particular, the Avengers versus X Men story, the Phoenix Force stuff. I was like, oh, like, why are you, why are you the way you are? Um, but then, in other mediums like the X Men cartoon, X Men Evolution, uh, X Men Evolution less so than most, but still, sure. and, yeah. and the movies, every portrayal of, of uh, Scott Summers, I'm just like, oh, you're the worst. Every you always let me down. Evolution, I yeah. didn't like anyway because I just I enjoyed the high school version mm-hmm. of him. He still wound up to be exactly what you said, though. That like that annoying like team leader of a group project and just won't shut up. Yeah. I get yeah. that. I get that criticism when it comes to Cyclops. Uh uh, he's normally like a stick in the mud, and he's written very blandly in the beginning, and then they don't know what to do with them. And it's very hard to write him right. And maybe I can't even defend him right now. Maybe, <laughs> maybe uh uh you, maybe maybe Gabe subbed him up the best. Okay, now I'm having I'm having to digest that right now. Um, I love Storm as the team leader, so I can get rid of Cyclops if needed. But I feel like he's one of my boys. If somebody makes fun of him, I have to be like, no, 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 he's all right. He gets better. <laughs> I'm making excuses for him. Uh, hey, that's what I say about the Spider-Man uh, 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 One Last Day storyline like it right sucks, but like if you look at it from this point of view sometimes it can be really sad so you know yeah i, I think what's frustrating about cyclops is that i want to like him i really i honestly do because there's so much that's sympathetic about him right he's a terrible terrible father who abandoned him and you know his brother havoc is awesome and it's like oh you could be like your brother and then they just why did you cheat on your wife with your clone wife and then (laughs) also you gave up your son and it's fine he was dying but then you're just a jerk about it later (laughs) yeah why are you like why why are you you like this (laughs) yeah like this yeah Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. uh it's it's interesting x-men has always been kind of a an allegory for for these these rights and these issues uh um margot says cyclops is literally a frat dude I wouldn't go that far, but okay. Uh, uh, he's kind of like a president of a frat, maybe? Like, kind mm-hmm. of that, like, entitlement, like, I'm going to change the future alone, but he needs backup from his team. Um, so I kind of see that. Um, and they later, they, they make him more militant, and he gets mm-hmm. really into the mutant right stuff to the point of, like, going almost as far as Magneto does uh and then they bring him back and they have to be like well that's not cyclops let's like bring him back um uh yeah margot says uh yeah president of a frat uh yeah and then poop 34 says x factor cyclops sucks yeah i get it uh there's a reason why like wolverine everybody picks a side between wolverine and cyclops and everybody picks the wolverine side i get it i get it it's the correct answer (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) Uh, but and the, the uh, tricky thing with Cyclops as well, like I think in terms of most media as well, I don't know how why this is, but it kind of is this. Uh, yeah, the, the kind of the visual of him that he has to, you know, always have his eyes covered for some reason. I I always find that as a, a, just a disconnect from like this is so dumb. 
but like really connecting with the character. It's much more evident in mm-hmm. movies because actors actors need their eyes to communicate their expressions and stuff. And when you yeah. have like giant like sunglasses on, that is very hard to communicate for James yeah. Marsden. Um, but like yeah. in comics, I'm, I'm like I look at the lineup of the X Men and I'm like, oh, that Storm, mm-hmm. Beast, I like like I, I feel their emotions. I don't know if it's just maybe hard to draw. I just never really connect with Cyclops in that. And I hardly think it's the visual of him as well. It's obviously the writing, but that that's something that sticks out when it comes to like media portrayals. I, I can never, the actor can never really do it for me because I just can't see him. I like that you brought up James Marsden because it does remind me of something. So when I watched Westworld, right, and he plays Teddy and Teddy keeps dying all the time. And for some reason I was relieved when that happened and I was like, why am I, I shouldn't, I like Teddy. He said, why do I feel comfortable with him dying? And then I realized, oh, wait, that's Cyclops. That's, <laughs> that's exactly what that is. I, ah, God, that's probably unhealthy. Um, <laughs> but no, but also he, he misses. How does he miss with his lasers or eyes? Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. This is just going to be a, psych, a Cyclops rant discussion. <laughs> like, this is going to be two hours of us being like, uh, you guys being like, man, Cyclops sucks, and I'm gonna be like, yeah, but like, he's one of he's what he's, uh, he's one of the X Men. Come on, he's, and like, it's just gonna yeah. be that. Yeah, he's a good <laughs> member of the X Men, so I can't I can't fault him for that. Yeah, like he yeah. has yeah. like in any X Men like cool lineup in my mm-hmm. mind, no matter which version you look at, Cyclops still has to be there. I don't have to yeah. know him, but he has to be no. there. You're exactly right. And in fairness to the character, Professor X has done him wrong so many times. Um, in like the very first run, in like the first like 10 issues, at one point, Professor X just outs and he's like, Cyclops, you're in charge. And he's a child. How are you letting him? <laughs> what? That's not responsible. Like, yeah. No, uh, Cyclops yeah. got a raw deal from a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I feel though, when it comes to Marvel Comics, X-Men ends up being like the corner to do these discussions of, of, of uh, you know, current issues or, or, you know, long-standing issues. And then we have like comics that are, okay, so Captain America, is, it, it tends to be political. And then mm-hmm. Iron Man can sometimes be, but like, that's not really its wheelhouse. And like different comics tackle different things in different ways. Um, um, let's just start off by talking, comics have always been political, right? Like, that's just a general thing, so when people say, keep the politics out of my comics, uh, it's fair to say they're wrong and they've missed the point of every, like, piece of media they've consumed. I mean, is is, is that fair? Absolutely. My my logic with the comics is, and, like, especially if you look at it from the beginning of Captain America, even if you didn't want to accept that they were like they were propaganda or they were supposed to represent that the intention was to represent uh, a version of politics, Superman and uh, Captain America are basically big middle fingers to the Nazis because it's their idea of the Ubermensch and whatever. Um, but even if you don't look at it like that, comics in general reflect the real world. The real world is inherently political. It's kind of like, like whenever, whenever comics happen, uh, especially again in media portrayals, but mostly in the comics, uh, a lot of the, the questions that come up, like with civil war and stuff like that, it's like, how would you in real life respond to this? And whenever the comics do something that's like that doesn't reflect real life, you're almost like, that's not realistic. What that wouldn't happen in real life. So, by my mm-hmm. concepts of having that mentality are like 
it has to kind of reflect to keep you invested in the world to make you relate to it it kind of has to reflect real life and you can't mm-hmm. like you can't just reflect the good stuff it's also going to be reflecting what the world also it deals with um mm-hmm. like um sam wilson's captain america yes that 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 it is realistic for that for his comic run to eventually have tackled uh, race and how the world viewed him. Um, mm-hmm. Same with Steve Rogers uh, being in World War II. Hitler was going to show up. That was a difficult uh, connection mm-hmm. to make. So it's, right. it's, it's, so comics reflect the world and the world is political. It's as simple as that. Yeah, Absolutely. And I think what's important to bear in mind that from the beginning, a lot of these stories were written by veterans. A lot of these stories were written by guys who served in the armed forces, whether by choice or by draft. So like Jack Kirby and Joe Simon, who uh, created uh, Captain America, I believe both of them were drafted. I know Kirby was, I think Simon was as well. But what's interesting about them is, so they write Captain America uh, a few months, I believe, before the attack on Pearl Harbor. Um, so before any of that happens, they're Jewish Americans. They're, I think Kirby was a first-generation uh, American, and I think Simon might have been an immigrant. Uh, but they knew about what was happening in Germany with the Jewish community, right, uh, by virtue of their own families and that kind of stuff. Uh, I think in 1939, because they were writing this, these comics for Timely Comics, what would become Marvel in, in New York City. In 1939, in Madison Square Garden, something to the effect of 30,000 Nazi-American sympathizers met uh, and had a rally there for the German-American Bund, which was basically the American lobby group for the Nazi party trying to get Americans to support, you know, uh, Hitler in, in, in the, the Third Reich. So 1939, you have 30,000 uh, Nazis in Madison Square Garden, right? And then these guys are writing this comic. At one point, someone, like, they used to get death threats all the time, and there's a there's a story about Jack Kirby being called by a group of Nazis saying, hey, if you come down to the lobby, we'll show you what you know Germans can do. And Jack Kirby hung up the phone and walked down there to go fight them. Um, they said they had three or four guys, and when he got down there, there was no one there because inherently these guys are cowards. But like these stories have always been that way. And one of my favorites is... Um, so Archie Goodwin, who uh, was one of the first writers for like The Punisher, he created Luke Cage, he was also a veteran, and he wrote a series of comics called uh, Blazing Combat that have been collected into a, into a single edition, but they are all stories about war, and they're not romantic, they're not glamorized, they are very much like, like there's one where it's a Confederate soldier and a Union soldier they just happen to be crossing each other on a battlefield, the battle's done, they have a disagreement, devolves into a fight, they both kill each other, and then like pigs are like eating the dead on the battlefield it's those kinds of stories mm-hmm. and they were banned in uh in, from px's from military stores uh in vietnam because they were so humanizing of enemies and they were so realistic that they were bad for morale so this stuff has always been uh waist deep in the politics of it it's just that when we're kids we often ignore it because we don't know anybody mm-hmm. right right yeah. um um, I love I love that story. I had heard I had heard the Jack Kirby story where Jack, he goes down mm-hmm. to fight him and they're not there. And it's mm-hmm. it's so it's so interesting the things that you bring up that uh, essentially a lot of these a lot of these writers uh, 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 were Jewish, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, especially you know if they're writing comics during during the forties and then uh, the fallout of of the forties and World War Two. Uh, I think that definitely factors in, uh, um, and I think that's like from an interesting point of view. Yeah, politics. I mean, Marvel Comics uh, essentially starts off 
like with politics, right? Mm-hmm. You know, Captain America punching punching Hitler, World War II related things, and then into you know uh, 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 the civil rights movement and whatnot with with their uh, things. Terrell, did you have did you have anything that you wanted to add to that? No, I mean you covered it. Like I didn't I didn't know. I mean I knew Jacoby. Uh, and, and like a, a bunch of other McRae's were were drafted. I didn't know that story about him going to the lobby though. That's hilarious. Um, that like I said though, that really that pretty much just kind of sums it up. From the people that created it, like their life was essentially political. Like everything about that time period would lend Ooh. to the art the, the art imitates life situation. Like it would just lend to what they create anyway. Um, my like how I always kind of understand it's like so to modern day as well. Like if you are reading comics and you're annoyed or you, you want like you want to ignore the particular themes that they address in comics, be it race, be it uh, war or what, or what have you, then it means in real life you also want to you try to ignore these things uh, because those things happen outside your door. So if you're ignoring it in comics, which again, like I said, is reflecting the real world, then there's a solid chance that whenever you turn the news on, you're also like, man, I hate it when the news talks about police brutality. Mm. It happened. It happened in the world. That's, that, that's the news's yeah. job to, to reflect this thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's kind of, it, it, it's a big reflection of who that person is, essentially. Two things that come to mind about that. Um, one is that uh, <clears throat> people will say, well, like this is kids stuff. So why are we having real life, you know, messages in them. It's like, well, you know, uh, kids of color got to deal with this stuff too. <laughs> like be, childhood does not unfortunately um, exclude you from the impacts of these very real world things, right? Yeah. Uh, and and but something else that comes to mind is we also have to bear in mind that these companies are companies, right? They're, they're, their politics ain't left or right. Their politics is making money. Um, and thankfully, often they're on the right side of things. But so for example, uh, Luke Cage issue number one, which I think came out like, 71, 72, um, written by Archie Goodwin. Uh, and there's a great, if you ever have a chance, if anyone ever has a chance, pick up uh, Luke Cage Marvel Masterworks, um, which is a collection of like his first 15 issues, I want to say. And there's a forward re- written by Steve Englehart, who would l- write Luke Cage during some of those issues. And he talks about the politics of it, about how Marvel wanted to cash in on the civil rights movement, but they also had to be careful because they didn't want to alienate everybody and that kind of thing. And so the very first opening pages of Luke Cage start with him in prison. And it starts with Luke Cage being approached by uh, one of the other inmates saying, hey, we're going to do a protest to protest the um, terrible conditions, right? Uh, and it's a it's an African-American male who says this, and he says, you know, they're treating this terrible. We're going to do like a sit-in or a hunger strike, I forget what. But we're going to protest all this stuff. And Cage is like, leave me out. I'm not, I'm not down, right? Uh, I'm not getting my head cracked open for someone else's cause. I'm just trying to do time. So in this character, and this is actually pretty emblematic of the character moving forward for for a while, is like, yes, these things exist, but he is not in it. So it's simultaneously appealing to a broader audience, which is to say a, a black character written by a bunch of white guys, um, and who who writes the way that white guys who are trying to imitate black folks sound, right? Um, mm. So there's that component of as well, while also acknowledging there are things that are happening, but not willing to make a stand on it in a in a particular way. And it was the same thing with Sam Wilson later on when he worked with Captain America. 
because a recurring theme about the comics is yes, things are bad. Yes, we there's a need for civil rights movement, but we have to be moderate about it because if we're not moderate about it, then we lend ourselves to extremism, and extremism is inherently wrong. So yeah. they thread this needle of like, yes, we want that money, but also we're trying to stay in business. And that's a part of the whole, like them trying to legitimize the business because comics have always been under attack as being lowbrow, you know, junk media, for lack of a better term. Right. So, yeah, if right. that makes sense. Uh, yeah, it definitely couldn't have been helped by the Comic Code Authority. Right. No. Uh, I know they had specific rules. Uh, for those of uh, you out there who don't know or who, who are listening, uh, uh, comics were were essentially self censored, but also they had to answer the Comics Code Authority, the CCA, up until a certain point uh, in which Marvel was like, eh, "I don't want to do this anymore." But the CCA had strict rules about the content that was in their comics. So some of the more straightforward things were like, "Don't show decomposing bodies." on their covers you can't have horror uh things and like zombies weren't allowed and then they got like really into the nitty-gritty where uh and i just i added to a a a video documentary for class um uh last semester but basically uh there were were different comics that dealt with race that they were like nah we don't we don't want to have to do with this uh anything to do with this uh you can't show military people in a bad light you have only and like the hulk the Hulk got away with it, I remember, because the Hulk um, put that the military thought they were in the right and they were in the right because Hulk was a menace, but he wasn't fighting them per se. He was running away from them. So there was like this gray area in which he can fight the military. The military is being right, but also the Hulk has a story to move on from that. And so uh, uh, there was a lot of rules uh, about that, but, but a lot of it did unfairly affect the way race is portrayed in comics, because both Marvel and DC both had to answer to the Comic Code Authority, um, mm-hmm. uh, and there were missteps because of it. Yeah, I never thought of it from, uh, from the whole point of view. Like, oh yeah, of course, for the CCA, like the, the technically the military are the villains or the antagonists in that situation. So then, what does is Hulk? Like his whole anti-military, then how does that work with CCA? But I guess yeah, there's a gray area because he's running from them, so we still are following them. Like we're following Hulk, but they're not necessarily making the military the villains because they are technically yeah. just trying to do the right thing and stop this rage monster. Oh uh, yeah, no, yeah, like, yeah. This is kind of a weird <laughs> balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I- I'm glad. I'm sorry. Oh no, I wasn't good. Sorry, I'm trying not to talk over anybody. Yeah. Um, no, I'm, I'm glad you bring up the, the CCA because so that was uh, that was 1954 and was on the heels of like Congress basically saying, look, you guys get your act together or we shut you down. But what's fascinating about that is it did two things that really, I think, led into Marvel, into M- the MCU as we have it now. And that is one, it the number of comic book publishers like dropped by half by the 1960s. Like within about 10 to 15 years, I want to say it went from like 300 publishers, including indie, indies and that kind of stuff, to like half of that. And then most of them couldn't keep up the way that DC and, and Marvel were. But it also created an underground um, an underground comics uh, market, basically. So like Eerie Magazine, Creepy Magazine, um, you know, like, which I think actually I have, yeah, like Eerie Magazine, you know, that sort of stuff and sort of pulp things that came out in uh, the 1960s and 70s and whatnot. Um, and a lot of those guys 
you know, started messing with these themes because they didn't abide by the CCA. And so they could tell stories that other people couldn't. And then you start to see those themes show up in stuff like uh, Swamp Thing, right, in DC, or you uh, see other stuff in the more Constantine, uh, the sort of darker side of things and, and whatnot, yeah. as well as in, in Marvel as well. So, and that gave us these sort of stories, the creation of that underground market and that created this um place to experiment that marvel and dc couldn't but then later on in like the 80s and whatnot they could recruit from those artists those creators uh and really sort of shape the stories that we have now so yeah it's uh an unintentional positive i guess for lack of a better term yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. uh uh i i feel i feel in that in that situation it was you know the cca kept everything really hard like hardcore mm-hmm. uh not even moderate very conservative you couldn't yeah. push the boundaries of what that is. Otherwise, there'd be some sort of crackdown, uh, especially, uh, yeah, uh, during, during you know, Vietnam War era, where we can't talk, you know, can't talk about how the military could do any wrong or, or, or any sort of thing. Uh, it is very conservative in, in that point of view. Um, but the way Marvel and, and comics in general start off is... Uh, essentially white male characters, right? Mm-hmm. That's their, that's our window into this world is through these characters such as uh, uh, Iron Man, Captain America. I mean, the starting Avengers lineup, just like the starting X-Men lineup is is uh, all white male and then one white female, essentially. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I, does the Hulk count as green? I mean, I have I have a joke about Avengers Age of Ultron that I will wait until we talk about. Uh, uh but um, uh, so basically the heroes that we think of when we think of DC comics, when we think of Marvel comics, I know we're thinking or talking specifically about the MCU, but uh, our, our classic iconic heroes will, will always be white characters. That's just the way they were positioned originally. And then slowly things are changing a little bit. Uh, we have a m- love for Miles Morales uh, that is not only with Terrell, I love Miles, uh, I'm sure Gabe, uh, uh, so many people, especially with Spider-Verse and, and the video games and this new generation of kids that are coming in realizing that there is a Miles. Like, you could like Peter Parker, you could like Miles. Like, they don't... One doesn't have to die for the other one to exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it is amazing. You can have both. You can have both as your characters. You can choose one or the other. Um, but really, like, the starting Avengers lineup, these iconic characters are white, and then, which lends itself to a very... Uh, 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 homogenous or uh, homogeneous uh, kind of adaptation in the beginning. If we're talking phase one of the MCU, right? Mm-hmm. Where they're really trying very hard to get the Avengers together uh, and they do a really good job with that, they uh, uh, they don't focus on that. They don't upset the apple cart as far as bringing in really uh, uh, progressive ideals or any sort of really proper handling of certain characters. Uh, Every character has a minority sidekick and uh, they kind of go through that. People on TikTok are talking about how, oh yeah, every every Marvel character uh, uh, has a minority sidekick. That's just how it works. Um, uh, Do you guys have have, have thoughts about that specifically? I, that's so funny. That's one of, one of like the, first forever videos I did on TikTok within like the first week or two. I literally was like, yeah. I always knew it. I just made a video and I was on my screen and I was like, so here's all of the ethnic, ethnically diverse best friends in the MCU. And it was like, Ned, right. Thor, 
Falcon, Rhodey, every every movie, every MCU installment from one point of view or another. If they weren't the best friend, they were the supporting character of that film. Like they were always just up, slightly up to the side. Sometimes they had two. And I was like, wow, look at yeah. that. Look how progressive they're being. They have two black best friends right. this time. That's so interesting. Um, right. And it was all those like and that would always happen. And like obviously a lot of people kind of laughed and was like, yeah, that's so true. But then there was also a lot of comments that were like, but that's but that's how the comics were. Like Falcon was Captain America's uh, uh type sidekick. Like, first of all, that's a bit of simplification. They were partners, but um, like you know, uh, when you look at the MCU, you think about it. Sometimes they've taken actual liberties to make them the ethnic diverse best friend. Like Ned is white in the comics, but it's also based on Ganky, of whom is Miles Morales' best friend. So they've kind of like right. they pulled strings to shift the character around and still fell into the trope of the of the ethnically diverse uh, best friend. Um, so somehow they they they've written themselves into that into that corner. And it's I like I laugh at it now because I see how progressive they are trying to be going forward, and they're kind of they're pivoting their, their their point of view to these other characters rather than treating them like sidekicks, giving these side characters their own stories. Not to say Marvel, mm-hmm. uh, not to excuse how they've done it in the past, not to yeah. excuse how they've done it in the past, but like they they seem to be heading in the right direction to a point where I can look at their past mistakes and be like, that's hilarious that you did not realize how bad you were. Right. Uh, uh, I I think it's, I mean, in the beginning, uh, like I was saying, they they don't seem to want to upset the apple cart. They're like, Captain America is white. He was white in the comics. He's going to be white in the show or in the movies. Uh, Tony Stark, we're not going to change that. We're going to give them all sidekicks, uh, most of which are uh, uh, ethnic minority characters. uh, uh, But we're just trying to get the Avengers started up. That's like, that's our goal, right? Uh, that's, uh, uh, the goal with everything. Um, later on, do they take a little bit of liberties? I do have a big question, uh, that I want to bring up, but no, but first, Gabe, uh, uh, do you have anything to add to what we're presenting? Yeah, yeah, just, uh, um, because my talent for things is to find what's terrible and then make it so much worse. Um, yeah, they, uh, they, this is a trope that goes back a very long time in terms of storytelling to um, like yeah. the pulp heroes of the 1920s and things like that. So, um, you know, like Tonto and the Lone Ranger, right? Uh, Lone Ranger being the the one white guy who's better at being a native than the natives, so much so that he has a native sidekick. Um, and and who, by the way, was based off of a black cowboy and former slave turned bounty hunter, Bass Reeves, um, uh, from the late 1800s who was just one of the first U.S. Marshals out west. Anyway, that's a whole other thing. And then they made him white, because, oh. of course, they did. Um, uh, then you have, like, um, oh, uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs and Tarzan, who had a series of local African uh, sidekicks, some of whom lasted for more than, you know, a book or two at the time, uh, who almost all inevitably died, because, of course, they did. Um, and, again, Tarzan, white dude who's better at being a local than the locals. So, but but it's a, it's a recurring trope, and you know, and then we have it, it, it. Yeah, they were ultimately building towards the Avengers, and uh, in a particular iteration of the Avengers, right? Because they even messed with that a little bit. They didn't go with like the like Hank Pym was not an Avenger in the movies, right? Uh, right. They didn't like they were kind of playing fast and loose with the idea of the Hulk as being an Avenger leading up to it, and that whole Edward Norton and all that sort of stuff. Um, but even then, by the time you get to when was Guardians introduced? Was that Phase One or Phase Two? That's Phase Two. Uh, Guardians is Phase Two. Yeah. So <laughs> at that point, you get the Trinity of white dudes named Chris. Um, you know, <laughs> and, uh, 
<laughs> Evans, Hemsworth, and Pratt. Um, my yeah. only, I guess, is a hat trick, but my only guess, uh, I'm regretting that they didn't work in Pine in some way, right? Just go yeah. for broke. Get all the white dudes named Chris and it's give them their own. It's, it's not. It's not. <laughs> Maybe that'll be moving forward, right? They're, and they all lead their own movies. But even when you look at like Gamora, right, who is a exoticized uh, woman of color, even uh, putting aside the fact that Zoe Saldana is, you know, a, a woman of color, but the way that Gamora is presented, she feeds into a lot of these tropes, which are reminiscent of, again, going back to Edgar Rice Burroughs, his stories about uh, John Carter from Bars, of a white dude who's picked up off of Earth, flung into outer space and falls in love with a uh, alien woman of color. Um, it's almost like beat for beat a lot of the same things. So yeah, these stories don't change a whole lot because they're so entrenched in our storytelling, which I'm hoping, it looks like with, what are we on, phase 15 now? No, it's uh, phase four. <laughs> phase I four. I, we're, yeah, we're heading into phase four, right? So, and it yeah. looks like they're changing that up, right? So like the Marvels, uh, hopefully is, is a look in a new direction. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, it's, I love me some Chris Evans, I'm okay with Chris Hemsworth. He seems like a nice guy. Actually, I, I got a friend who worked with him uh, on one of his movies, and he, he's apparently a total sweetheart. Uh, and, okay. and 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 Chris Pratt inspired me because he went from looking like Andy on on uh, Parks and Rec to yeah. to Star Lord, and I thought, is that is that in me? Could I be that way? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he inspired, me. but 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 yeah. So I'm but I'm I'm thankful for a more different and nuanced direction than three white right chris yeah i met right. uh chris emsworth in 2019 i think when and right about when endgame came out uh there was like mm-hmm. an early premiere thing um that i was I, I was i was working um so me and my colleague uh, interviewed him so i was like filming him and mm-hmm. stuff he genuinely is such a sweetheart like in the very yeah. you know few uh, less than 10 minutes was talking and so he's honestly like just comes across as the nicest guy even the cameras were off yeah. and he would come across as like the nicest guy in the room um yeah because yeah. i can i can verify at least that i don't know how evans and, and pratt and pine and the rest of the gang the chris crew are <laughs> <laughs> i uh i mean i i've heard that evans is cool i've heard that hemsworth is cool the only person i'm worried about is pratt because you know <sighs> A lot of my friends refer to him uh, I, 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 on, the, on this public chat. I don't know if I should put like that Like he's going stance. to see this. But I know. But well, I, mean, just, I'll, 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 yeah. I could say it. I could say it. it he's a as on the, the right page. He's referred to as the inferior Chris or the weakest Chris. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's, oh, like oh, how oh. I'm, that's how yeah. I've uh, yeah. placed it in my mind. If, if, if <laughs> there were, you know how like, there was a battle of the Joshes? Like, if there were a battle of the Chris's, he would be the first to be defeated in, in combat. Mm. He's, um, yeah. By way, yeah. by way of popularity, he's yeah. the weakest Chris. <laughs> that, uh, I mean, that's what the upset was about, right? And this is actually interesting that you that that you bring that up because at face value, uh, it's very uh, interesting this story. Yeah, on Twitter, people made a big deal about how like Pratt is the worst Chris. They made a big deal about this, and uh, uh, Chris Pratt, I guess, was upset about it. And uh, his Marvel co-stars really came to his defense. They're, you know, yeah. showing their support for Chris Pratt, who, again, I think has some skeletons, skeletons in his closet. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. Uh, uh, they came to his defense. That being said, yeah. uh, people have also pointed out how when other Marvel uh, actors and actresses, uh, whether they are of color or actresses in general, are getting hate 
about like so Brie Larson, let's just say. Oh yeah. Uh, 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 and, and there were there were a couple others that that have gotten um, hate. Uh, Marvel doesn't come to their defense, mm-hmm. uh, whether I, it's the actors mm-hmm. or Marvel in general. I mm-hmm. have so much to say on the on the Brie Larson comparison to to well, to the many Chris's, but in this case, Chris Pratt. So yeah. much because uh, Brie Larson gets it to this to this very day to a point where she's basically yeah. tuned out like white noise. But like, yeah. com- you're right. Like they, they rushed to, to to Pratt's defense. Every, like Robert Downey Jr. isn't like he talks on social media, but he's not the most active to a point where he'll get involved in social conversation. But you come for his boy Chris Pratt, and he was the first one like knocking up, knocking at the door to, to defend him. But yeah. Brie Larson, in fairness, Brie Larson did get support from her female Marvel co-stars. Tessa Thompson yeah. consistently mm-hmm. backs and defends her. Like she mm-hmm. like right, they, they like come across as like best friends. Um, and I believe Scarlett Johansson came to her defense quite, uh, quite a bit as well. Um, mm-hmm. Who has her own, her own skeletons? <laughs> I won't even cross. But yeah. um, right. in, in the context right. of this, the, a lot of the female cast members came at least came came to the support there. I feel like there is a clear double standard in how those classmates treat each other. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, when, uh, I guess, so my, my joke uh, uh, that I, I just think is funny, G- Gabe brought up the fact that the lineup of the Avengers was changed, right? Uh, in, in, in the comics, uh, in the comics, the first Avengers lineup is 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 a Hulk, Iron Man, Thor, Ant-Man, and the Wasp. Uh, mostly Ooh. because those are the characters some of them had solo books at the time. Some of them weren't selling as good or whatever. So they kind of, they, they were on Avengers and their solo book, which is a little bit different than the Justice Society in DC. Uh, mm-hmm. but that's a separate thing. Anyway, the point being is um, with the Avengers there, like Captain America wasn't a starting Avenger, uh, but he's considered one of the iconic Avengers, right? The iconic mm-hmm. three are Thor, Captain America, and Iron Man. And then uh, figuring out a... a uh, a lineup past that, then they added Hawkeye and Scarlet, or not Scarlet Witch, Scarlet Johansson, Black Widow, uh, in in the Avengers movie, and then in Age of Ultron, they add Quicksilver, Scarlet Witch, and Vision. And my joke is that it, it, after after two phases, uh, uh, they got a green guy and a purple guy on the team before a brown or a black guy. Uh, and it's and it's like, I mean, I I don't know. Uh, huh. mm-hmm. uh, and even and even by and, the end of Age of Roach Run, like they try, you know, the end, the little end scene where like Falcon and Rhodey show up. Mm-hmm. But I, in my mind, how the up until around Infinity War and Endgame, Rhodey and Falcon were like part time Avengers. It's like you yeah. need, yeah. need like a little a little extra like air support. Yeah, we'll, we'll come through if you need us. Yeah. Um, Otherwise, you're not going to invite us to the Avengers movie. If Ultron comes again, we're not going to get a phone call. (laughs) Yeah. They were the JV team, and that's frustrating. Because they they even referenced War Machine and Iron Man 1, right? Yeah. They referenced War Machine, and it's like, yeah, but then we're not done. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. God. Um... Uh, Something that's that's interesting to me, and this is something that I I bring up a lot. Uh, The general public would rather see green and blue faces in their science fiction than black and brown ones. Um, Science fiction has always been, let's have an allegory for race, but the 
alternative race that they're trying to make an allegory for is blue and green faces, orange faces. Let's make them aliens and show an allegory with a, let's just say, white male protagonist. And let's have the racial allegory have to do with a Wookiee. Let's let's have that. Let's not show these faces. Uh, uh, and it's I, I think that's very uh, indicative in the way that like uh, uh, we're shown this Marvel universe. Um, also, Margot brings up uh, like an actress like Pom Clementine, uh, who is is uh-huh. is uh, an act uh, who is Mantis in Guardians of the Galaxy Two. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's she's a Dutch actress of mixed descent. Um, you know, she's put in makeup. She's the alien with the antennas. We have uh, a lot, and this is in science fiction a lot, and it's, it, I mean, it's back at, like, Star Trek with the Klingons uh, when you have Michael Dorn playing a Klingon who is uh, clearly uh, uh, clearly black. He, he has the makeup, as opposed to a white guy in the brown makeup like they do in original Star Trek. Um Basically, we're putting these minority actors into their alien makeup. We have Zoe Saldana as Gamora, uh, Dave Bautista as Drax. We have uh, this space epic that is Guardians of the Galaxy that stars a white male protagonist and his colorful crew who are all in makeup. So, like, they're diverse, but at the same time, I don't know. You have this white male protagonist who's a colonizer, essentially, right? He's out there exploring the galaxy all he wants with all the different colored colors of women that he wants to to bed. Uh, Very Kirk. It's very Kirk. He's Um, Captain Kirk and across the stars. Yeah, no. Right, (laughs) right. Uh, But we do this, right? We do this where we're putting makeup on these uh, actors of color to make them more palatable? I'm not quite sure. To show the diversity by covering their diversity? Uh, Gabe, mm-hmm. did you have thoughts? Yeah, so actually I want to use Star Wars as an example of this. So um, human skin color is only one component of race. There's other things that go into the uh, uh, categorization of people by appearance, which is what race is. But let's just stick with skin color for a second. Skin mm-hmm. color is an adaptation to uh, environmental conditions combined with um, we all have different, um, we all have different, uh, there's a slew of different genes that influence skin color and how we adapt. So for example, in Africa, you have the San people who are very light skinned, uh, who actually have the same gene that determines uh, skin color as the Irish, right? So those two groups of people have the same genetic, uh, uh influence for skin color, but you see how they adapted based off of like in exposure to the sun, things like that. So keep that in mind. Take Star Wars and the fact that it is almost entirely humans in that cast and all the different exposures of heat and sunlight and environment, and you got like two black people. Three, sorry, Captain Panaka, excuse me. Uh, right? <laughs> and then, like, but otherwise they're all white. Not just white, they're like all the same shade of white. <laughs> like, right. that's what's wild to me is that, like, we're not even in, in our fantasy settings, we're not even using the rules of reality that should give us a lot of diversity. And then uh, you look at, again, um, like you said with, with uh, Marvel, you have uh, characters of people of color who are acting. It's like, um, and people got all up in arms, some people, some very terrible people got up in arms about Idris Elba being a Norse god, which 
Anything right. that increases the amount of Idris Elba we have on screen is empirically good. Um, right. Why would you compl- like everybody? Yeah. Every like nobody should complain. He should bridge yeah. all gaps. But no. Yeah. Okay. I I I I will die on the hill that I, that Marvel messed up by not giving Heimdall his own like limited series of leading a guerrilla right. resistance against against uh, uh, Hela. So anyway, the right. best either here or there. In, in um, my mind, that that still happened. In, I when I watched Ragnarok, yeah. in my mind, there was a whole side plot where Heimdall was leading a full on resistance. But right, that's the story. What? Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, no, they do. And it reminds me of how, like, in the 70s, I think it was the 70s, uh, DC tried it with, like, their own version of, um, it was like the Teen Titans, but it wasn't. It was one of their superhero groups, and they were trying to be very diverse, but they did it by having shapeshifters on the team, right, who could be different. Ordinarily, they were, like, orange or purple or something. Otherwise, it was all other white folks on the team. But they were sort of the, they were literally used, in their stories as metaphors for race, but they just wouldn't add a brown person or a black person or someone of color. They had to go with this other thing. And so, yeah, it's, I think that goes back to the idea of like, they want to appeal to a broader market at the same time. If they come across as quote unquote, too radical, then it's alienating for their more mainstream, you know, we don't want politics in our comics kind of readers. Anyway. Yeah. Um, sorry, a shout, I just want to shout out Margot, who brought up something that kind of blew my mind right now. Uh, she says, basically, diversity is portrayed as being alien rather than human. So white is human, diversity is alien. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, I haven't thought about it in that way, so I'm going to parse that in my head uh, and figure that out for myself. Terrell, did you have something to say? Uh yeah no um well on on Margot's comment like it's true when especially when it comes to casting it's almost like their instinct was how do we make this character look different than the human character and the human character is already a white guy what in their mind what like, back of their mind they were like how do we get at least a baseline as entirely different to to the general perception of human and yeah from at least in the casting room they were like okay my perception of this human character is a white guy so. This, uh, like, you know, well, what, what's, what is, what is, Mansus has like some sort of peachish yellow skin. We're going to get an Asian actress to play this character. Um, with, with Gamora, it's like, okay, cool. What, like, what is, is not just, you know, a traditional white lady just in, in makeup? No, let's get, um, someone else of like of mixed descent or of Latin descent or that will just somewhat just differ from the traditional what they view as white. And part of that, like these ones, my my main point when it comes to like casting, at least from the point of view pre Phase Four and just a lot of I want to say around the eighties when I, those kind of pieces of media I noticed it the most is the when it comes down to it, they companies and studios think that white is more profitable than people of color from that same mentality that like this is what people identify with that they they think their primary audience is white. To, to make their character identify with them, to reflect them, making them a white guy, making Peter Parker a white kid because the audience all might see themselves in this character. Um, you can say the same thing when it comes to Star Trek and Star Wars and all other like forms of sci-fi and stuff. It's like, okay, the lead character is white, or heavily white audience may identify with them, not actually realizing that both white audiences and people of color would also identify with people of color. It's not like the skin tone and the skin and the complexion of the lead character doesn't actually reflect it. Um, how 
uh, how much people would pay in the box office. Um, and thankfully, Mar- Marvel in particular, be it with Blade or, or later down the line with like Black Panther, completely shattered that mental- like that ideology. Blade, obviously, they, it, it you know trickled down like, in the box office over, like, over right. the trilogy. But like with Black Panther, it was a clear thing like, race had nothing to do with it. This was a movie set full on in Africa. Like, we barely left Africa. And even when we did, we went to like South Korea. Like, we weren't going to America and all that stuff. And it still was massively profitable. There were like two white guys in the cast and it was still massively profitable. Um, and I, I'm fairly certain that the same will be said for, for, for Shang-Chi. People, like, obviously there are audiences, like you said, Gabe, there are very particular people that very much care about their, their comic book characters having to be white and this person has to be white because that's uh, what they're used to or whatever. But I think it just came down to companies and profit. Their mind was like, white makes money, people of colour don't, but we can make people of colour at least the antagonist because they don't look like this white guy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there is there a, a tone right now, a ringtone? Or, not a ringtone. Uh, uh, we're getting two users on different platforms saying that, well, Poop poop 34, uh, which is Paul, with a very unfortunate username, um, essentially brings up that vanilla is considered the default flavor in ice cream, right? Um, and it kind of, uh, kind of, uh, uh, if we take that and, you know, map it, right? And it, it's essentially saying that white stories are universal stories and uh, the media media industry used to essentially be like white people want white stories everybody else will watch white stories no uh but only specific groups will watch specific group stories thus white stories are more profitable and we push those forward but like terrell was saying um and uh again this is all constructive criticism of the marvel cinematic universe of course it starts off very white and it does start to shift a little bit more into the representation a little bit more as you know black panther comes out right and we and we see that uh, uh and allowing for a female main character in captain marvel with nick fury being her sidekick but essentially though it at least it, we have a female character who has her female solo movie for the first time right um but it is very interesting that falcon war machine and black panther are not in Age of Ultron. Uh, not really. Right? Uh, Falcon War Machine at the end. But again, we, we we get Vision before we get like Black Panther in the thing. And a lot of it, um, I mentioned the pre-show is like, uh, uh, that, that I know is like Ike Perlmutter. Uh, and in the beginning of, of the Marvel Studios is these producers kind of fighting for ultimate control. Right, it's Feige, it's Ike Perlmutter. Joss Whedon opens the door, being like, "Hey, you guys need a need a producer? You guys want me to handle everything?" No, Joss, get out of here. It's like I'll take two phases. All right, thank you. And like, like then they start like phasing Joss Whedon out because he's problematic. Um, and in the yeah. end, it's like 2019 where Feige finally gets ultimate control of Marvel Studios. Because they're like fighting, they move Ike Perlmutter to the TV shows. Ike was the one who famously says that like we can't have Captain Marvel, can't have Black Panther, like we have to have these things. So those could have happened earlier on in the phases. So that's a what if mm-hmm. scenario as far as you know real life is concerned. There's a universe out there where we got Captain Marvel, we got Black Widow, we got Black Panther Phase One or even Phase Two. I would have been happy. 
you know, there was, there was like a te- there was a test footage scene from Age of Ultron where that ends left of like the new Avengers circulating and Captain Marvel was supposed to just inexplicably float in too, which we would then explore her story in, in, in phase three. And that's how they were going to like lead into that. But then like Palmer said, no, no, yeah. we'll, we'll give you the characters you've already got. Don't push it. Um, mm-hmm. We don't want to... Yeah. And I think Ipomo's mentality was very much like was basically what we were saying. The white is palatable first, the vanilla is palatable first. We give give you that, and we will slowly, we will spoon feed and ease the audience into getting those stories. And even then, the, the logic was still if you want this person to color story, if you want this female character story, they need to first appear in someone else's white their property before they are in then inspired to get their own. And that has somehow right. somewhat trickled into, into phase four, but in a less apparent way, like Rhodey and, and, and Sam got their own stories, but by way of being introduced in the white it's, uh, in the white properties first, but then there's the difference between like, like Palmer's uh, ideals and Kevin Feige's ideals were entirely different. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm, I'm super optimistic for so. I am too. And, and something that's interesting about this that I think is uh, really adds to the importance of uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier is that up until that point, the way that we saw, like for example, blackness represented in these uh, in these materials, is that you had a exotic form of blackness that was hero- uh, that was heroized. Heroized. What am I trying to say? It was made into a hero in the terms of Black Panther. Excuse me, my thoughts are all over the place. Um, but that was a type of blackness that was rooted in a imagination, right? And then the villain being someone rooted in the trauma of uh, African American identity uh, and that kind of stuff. And then you had Luke Cage, who was a very different iteration of blackness in the context of the United States, dealing with issues of like corruption and oppression, not just within uh, the United States, but also within what's faced by the black communities, uh, uh, concerns from within and also from without, that kind of thing. And so you have two very different iterations of blackness, one being um, exotified or exoticized uh, through a w- sort of what-if lens of Africa, and the other one being much more grounded in reality. Mm-hmm. And the way in which those stories are told in terms of one gets a big screen release, the other one is on Netflix, right? And right. so, and obviously Netflix is a money-making enterprise. No two questions, no question about it. But the sort of priority and the visibility given to them, and that when that grounded... Uh, reality does show up in Black Panther, it's vilified. And obviously, most reasonable people understand that Killmonger wasn't wrong. The extent to which he was right might be contested, but he wasn't wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so then when they, I thought that was really interesting, then when they go the route they did with Falcon the Winter Soldier of sort of merging between the big screen and the Netflix iteration into a streaming uh, uh, platform, so Disney Plus, um, that had such heightened visibility and told the story that they did. I'm hoping that now that they are financially, commercially stable, that they'll feel willing to make the risk of telling these more diverse stories. Um, I think it's unfortunate that it is that way, but certainly, you know, like like you know, uh, Tarot said, it's, it's something to be optimistic about. So. Sorry about the technical difficulties. It looks like it was either a stream. Uh, yeah, it was a stream issue that I've never dealt with. So um, I wish I would have uh, figured that out beforehand and, and restarted it earlier. Uh, where were, what were we talking about? Uh, what's this episode even about? I don't even know anymore. Um, uh, where were we? We were, oh, going into the Falcon, the Winter Soldier. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Gabe, were you talking mm-hmm. last? 
Uh, Luke Cage. Um, Margot was talking about I, Luke Cage or uh, saying that we were. Yeah, yeah. I was just uh, making the point that Falcon and the Winter Soldier seems to be a bit of a, a positive step in the direction of taking the high-profile uh, platform of you know the theater release and all that kind of stuff uh, and addressing very particular issues of blackness and the way in which it's represented and then incorporating the themes that we saw in a more grounded iteration of Black American identity in the United States with the Luke Cage series uh, and those sort of things sort of mixing together in the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which hopefully means that we'll get to see more high-profile visibility of this discourse because it's great that we got a limited series on Disney Plus. That's awesome, but what about like a feature-length film that actually addresses these things? It's yeah, kind of, right. It's kind of my hope. Uh, yeah. Uh, how do you like in, in in the realm of like you know Black Panther being the this this exotic almost sort of far detached story compared to like Luke Cage, like you said, being the 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 grounded story that you know, the African American experience. Like what what in terms of like Falcon and the Winter Soldier, obviously Luke Cage they told that story only in the Netflix show. And then they, they made them more exotic, I guess, because being so far removed, it's almost like it was easier to to have on the big screens. Like, where do you see mm. fucking the Winter Soldier in that? Like, do you see it as because obviously it's Marvel Studios? Do you see it as like the film? Like, do you see it more as a film, or do you, do you lean it more into the category of TV series like Daredevil and Luke Cage and stuff? Uh, so, so in, in terms of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I yeah, think like where, where do you think it sits in, in that? I almost, I think it's a kind of hybrid story because it, it did the thing that every Marvel, every high profile MCU property does, and that is that it sets up for the next thing, right? Uh, and so that sort of storytelling was absolutely evident, as opposed to like the um, the Netflix series, which were sort of like self contained stories, although I do contend that Luke Cage needed a season three wherein the Punisher comes to fight him and then it ends with, you know, them squaring off and obviously Luke Cage being the victor. But that's that's the story I wanted anyway. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I think it is sort of that, I think it was a half step in, in, in that direction that will hopefully ultimately lead us to having these conversations on the big screen. But it is its weird own beast, right? Because it was a story that was told differently than what we've gotten with the Netflix shows. Um, it always had that, you know, that underlying connection of like, it was a detour, sort of. This was the, the you know, with every major uh, comics event, there's all those tie-in series, right? That give yeah. us additional context, that kind of thing. And I yeah. think that's what that was. Um, that That's how it felt in terms of uh, the, the media format to me. Yeah. Um, in my opinion, I, I feel like, so I feel like Ike Perlmutter's influence over the Netflix shows and, and whatnot, like, because they, they moved them away from the movies and towards the TV, right? That was old Marvel TV, but it's not the, it's not in continuity anymore unless proven otherwise. Um, I, I feel like uh, uh, it was moving those, like, race-related topics to the TV by Ike Perlmutter saying, we can't do this in movies. Like, movies are a crown jewel. We don't talk about race or, or feminism in these movies, uh, whereas uh, in the TV shows, we could talk about that. But each property kind of tackles a little bit different. Like Black Panther, when it finally gets its movie, uh, it's about like black excellence and Afrofuturism. And Luke Cage doesn't deal with systemic racism as much as it is, this is a problem in our community, right? When, and when, when Falcon comes around in Falcon and Winter Soldier, 
uh, and becomes Captain America. He uh, and Isaiah Bradley, which is is a conversation uh, that Marvel needed to happen. Uh, they're talking about essentially this is just society. This isn't a community problem that is about necessarily. I mean, uh, Luke Cage was a little bit like a, of a classist struggle, and and mm-hmm. thus you know, uh, tackling race from that point of view, this is like, nah, it affects uh, and in, and infects everything around us. That's what Falcon Winter Soldier is. Isaiah Bradley is is that America as a whole will not accept him as their super soldier. You could blame it that the military won't accept it, but really, this society won't accept it. And that's a yeah. much, much larger mm-hmm. uh, 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 problem that they're dealing with. And my concern is that they're going to, uh, and I'm and I'm thankful they went over that in Falcon Winter Soldier. But my problem or concern is that they won't hit big topics in the movies. That they're saying the TV shows, the Disney Plus shows, are about, uh, uh, um, you know, it, the Disney Plus shows are about eating your vegetables, and it's just sugary sweets for the movies, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. and I think that. Um, and, and I want to be careful when I say this. I, I'm not trying to take away from Black Panther. I think that movie did a great job of addressing some of the issues that are, you know, systemic. But it did it in a way that was like Wakanda is a colonial power. Like they don't really talk about that much. That Wakanda has spies all over the world, and that they're a colonial mm-hmm. power. But the only thing that they're they're extracting as resources is information because they don't need anything else. Otherwise, yeah. they probably would be. Um, so, it, but they 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 it was a good I think first attempt that had it was it was the sugary sweets with some vegetables mixed in. And hey, we need to talk about this yeah. that kind of stuff that was very valuable and very important. And I think uh, overall, absolutely not positive. Um, I, I share your concern a little bit because, like I said earlier, talking about. Marvel in the 60s and DC in the 60s, uh, their politics is money, right? That's that's the whole thing. That not the whole thing, but that's a large part of why we got a white ancient one, because of the the, the market in China and you know having a Tibetan mystic as a protagonist, not going to play terribly well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's that's yeah. I guess time will tell, but I'm I'm optimistic and I'm hopeful. And Isaiah Bradley was a thing like you said, that, that absolutely Sam Wilson had to deal with or that narrative had to deal with. And, and I hope that we'll see more of that. And maybe because it looks like they set up Eli Bradley, right? Maybe we'll get to see more of that. Um, but yeah. the question still remains of what degree of visibility and prominence is a character like that and the struggles that we've already associated with them going to appear. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. the question is like, I mean, that, 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 so the question that's at least on my list when they, uh, I don't think it's not confirmed yet, but you know, the alleged Captain America 4 uh, that's you know, just it'll be, it'll be Sam Wilson's Captain America. Will that, in the spirit of Falcon and the Soldier, will that actually carry serious topics and will it address serious topics, or will it be another Captain America film that's just you know based off of another comic story? Is he just going to be fighting like a revived? Uh, is it going to be Zemo? Is it going to be like Zola back in like a big robot body and it's going to be a classic comic story, or are they going to like? <laughs> Like double down and pick a, a serious topic to, to tackle. Assume, assume Bucky's going to be in the story. Are they going to be as serious? You're, you're right. Like so far, the first the first two um, Marvel Studios shows they've com- 
they've been able to completely like just break away from what they normally do and and address these serious topics but is that indicative of like the movies in phase four or can they only get away with that just like a netflix can they only get away with that on these streaming services uh where they almost feel like it's slightly it's just like one step removed from the main story mm-hmm. right and and i also wonder about this in terms of wandavision as well because um and I didn't make as many TikToks about WandaVision, mostly because most of my work re- revolves around race with mm-hmm. intersectional considerations for class and gender, but the primary th- thrust is always race. When it comes to gender, I'm always a little more on edge, uh, a little more restrained because I don't want to speak out of turn. But one of the things that I am concerned about, and I loved WandaVision, I, I absolutely enjoyed it. Obviously, there were some weird things about it that I thought, I don't know if that makes a whole lot of sense, but all the same, on the whole, I uh, really thoroughly enjoyed it. But for a long time, femininity has been tied to mysticism and uh, and evil and threatening, right? Yeah. All those things have been rolled into one. One of my favorite examples being um, uh, there's a great paper that examines from a critical perspective the movie 300 and talks about how like Xerxes is coded as being effeminate. At the same time, the mystics are evil. The uh, Xerxes has a mystic. Uh, quality to him and his darkness and his sexuality and all that kind of stuff, along with the fact that the women in the film are, you know, represented very poorly and that kind of thing. But this larger trope of uh, women are mystical and dangerous and and pseudo-evil and inherently threaten masculinity. And because of that, they have to be controlled and contained. And at the end of WandaVision, we got her, you know, doing the, the work with the dark hold and all that kind of stuff. And I think there's a great story to tell and I'm super excited for it, but I'm also a little concerned that we're gonna hedge into that a little bit. And if she does factor into Doctor Strange 2, are we gonna fall back into that trope of we have to have another white dude who's better at being a native than the natives um, basically save the day here from this woman who is got all this power, but because of her emotions is in a untenable and un- unsustainable state, that kind of thing. Yeah, right. So I, I never considered Strange as essentially the Lone Ranger of the MCU, but yeah, that doesn't really make sense. Um, uh, yeah, more than than everyone who's from there. Yeah, uh, and people will. I mean, there there are TikToks galore on all on all sides. Being you know, there's the side that's saying that Doctor Strange is just like just an amazing guy. It has nothing to do with him being white, and you know, Tony Stark is just the best inventor, and it has nothing to do with him being white. And like Steve Rogers is just the best Captain America, and it's not just. Uh, because uh, he's white. And then also Thor is, you know, he's just happens to be the most worthy person. It's not just because he's white. And then also Captain Marvel sucks. And it's not because she's a girl. It's just because she sucks. Yeah, yeah. I want to, I want to like just a, a detour real quick to something that goes back yeah. to X-Men. Why haven't we gotten a movie about Forge? Why uh, hasn't he been in the X-Men movies? He's I love Forge. Li- so he's I. great. He's he he's Cheyenne, I believe, right? He, he is Native American, I think. Uh, Cheyenne, yeah. But his I believe, his yeah. power is to invent things that even he doesn't understand because they're so. And he's a genius. He's a Tony Stark level yeah. genius who mm-hmm. can who has this magical MacGuffin ability of like, you know what? I see this in my brain. I'm going to make it. It will solve our problems. I don't know how it works, but this is who I. What what? <laughs> yeah. Right, right. In in my X Men lineup, Forge is a main character. Like I have an X Men lineup in my head for where I want it to go. Uh, Stor- uh, Forge is is a character, and he's also with Storm. Because every team needs a genius. Let's have it be Forge now instead of Beast, and uh, yeah. let's have you know Storm uh, be be um, um, 
you know, in, in it too, and them being in a relationship because that's comic accurate too, uh, for at least yeah. a moment in time. Um, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Forge uh, something makes the iron suits look cute, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I love Forge. Uh, yeah, that Forge can do it all. It like Tony might take a month to, to come up with a new concept, mm-hmm. Forge fixes it on the yeah. spot and makes it on the spot, and he still doesn't understand what he just did. He's like, yeah, right. Hey, I, made, I made this the, the thing that sold, that saves the day. I couldn't tell you what, why, how, yeah. but yeah, it yeah, it, I agree. it works. What else do we need to know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Gabe, you bringing up Forge brings up a, a a direction in which I want the conversation to go. But I do want to uh, mention Margot. Uh, she's she's coming at it with with some really good insight. Uh, same with unfortunately named Poop Thirty Four. He's also has some really good insight. But Margot says. Um, uh, but with COVID making movies inaccessible at the moment, uh, or at least, you know, a good moment of 2020 and like Black Widow is going to come out in movie theaters. Uh, maybe it, it made TV shows the new big thing and kind of made Marvel realize the impact TV shows have now that we have no cinemas to go to. So hopefully they'll tackle the same issues in movies when they realize they're a real thing again. That also brings up the idea that like, TV has had more of an impact in the past year and a half uh, than movies have. So maybe they were banking on TV shows being the safe bet to put the race-related stuff. Will they backtrack on that? Being like, oh, no, now they're making just as much impact as movies. We need to now backtrack on that. The pessimist, the skeptic in me is like, oh, yeah, they're going to backtrack. I hope they don't. I I, I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I I always hope that things are just getting better. I always do, right? In 2008, I was like, things are on the up and up. This is great. And then 2016, it was like, oh, no. Yep. What is, uh, the years, it's the pendulum swinging back. The Serpent yeah. Society is coming back. Uh, to fight uh, uh, Falcon or uh, Sam Wilson, Captain America. That's literally like the plot line, right? The Sons of the Serpent and whatever. Anyway, the point being is, <laughs> the point being is for that. These are deeper cuts for any comic book uh, enthusiast. Is that out the Pym storyline? Is that where we find out that Sam was a pimp at one point? No, no, no. no, that, no well, that was that's, earlier. I mean, that was that's earlier. earlier. Yeah. The Sons of the was when he was, was. Was that Cap when Sam did Catwalk? Basically, when he did his own version uh, Catwalk. Well. I'm not well. What I'm what I'm trying to say is that like when Sam Wilson got ca- the Captain America suit, America did not accept him. Just like another oh, right, president yeah. that was elected yeah. in 2008, uh, uh, people yeah. didn't accept him, and so there was a there's a big thing. And then the pendulum yeah. swings back in real life in 2016, and so With the election of the least sexy version of the Hellfire Club. It's the yeah, <laughs> yeah. All he needed was mutton chops, right? Like he's he's just mutton yeah. chops away from being that. Um, <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, and so, um, what what was I trying to say? Oh, putting that aside, uh, Marvel has a slate of of movies and TV shows that are way more diverse now. And when Gabe brings up uh, Forge, uh, it kind of adds into an idea that uh, uh, that people have brought up, sometimes wrong and sometimes right, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Uh, basically, that, like, American cinema is essentially, like, like there are white people and then there, there are black people. And then that's the diversity that we need. Mm-hmm. And it's essentially 90% 
uh, 95% white male protagonists, right? And then for anything else, we give them to some white women for, for, for female characters, and then we have black men as, like, the diversity, whether it's for supporting cast or whatever. And we don't realize that, like, the representation is completely off as far as proportionality is concerned. Right, we have we have uh, Native American characters such as Forge that aren't getting the representation they need. Finally, now Shang Chi or Shang Chi. I know that people are, are talking about the pronunciation recently, and uh, uh, I'm not. I, I don't know. Anyway, the point being is Shang Chi is, is what I've been repeatedly told. Yeah, Repre- yeah, 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 yeah. Referring. Uh, so Shang Chi uh, is is getting his representation right, and. Uh, 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 Moon Knight bringing in in Oscar Isaac, uh, you know we got a little bit of representation there. That's a little bit off of uh, uh, kind of our idea of black and white America. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, how do how do you see diversity playing a, a part in the future of the MCU uh, as far as expanding opportunities? Go ahead, Jeff. Oh, sure. So um, one thing that comes to mind, though, is that, and I love Oscar Isaac. I want to see him as a character. I feel weird about him being Mark Spector because Mark Spector's Jewish. Um, yeah. And his and his, uh, his Jewish identity is, is actually very integral to the character. Uh, but I guess that's a, a its own thing. But I, right. I, so this is actually something that we've talked about in, in media. And in, there's a conversation in media studies about how we often fall into the black-white binary. Oh, that's how we understand race and black, white binary, which we also have to recognize that everyone who is black is not African-American. Everyone who is, uh, you know, within those groups, there's a lot of diversity within that. So even that's a simplification of a lot of things. Um, but like I'm, I'm Latino, right? And we don't have a large Latin presence in these films, uh, even though we go back in the comics, at least till like the 60s and 70s and things like that. So yeah one thing that really bothers me about moving forward in in the role of diversity is the discourse around the idea of like oh well they got a movie now we get a movie as though it's a tit for tat kind of thing like there's x like like it's pieces of a pie and you've only got so much of the pie to cut up cut up and i think that we have to understand that that ain't how this works anymore that might have been the case 30 years ago, 20 years ago, that was the case with the limited media expanse. But now, especially with things like the what streaming platforms and Netflix versus Disney Plus versus Hulu versus this, that, and the other, there's no longer nearly as much, although obviously the parameters do exist somewhat because someone has to spend the money, but like it ain't that way, right? So like one thing that bothered right. me was from when I heard some uh, folks in the Latin community say that, well, now that they made Black Panther, why don't we get a movie? It's like, well, hold on a second. Black Panther was great. We'll get a movie. We should have gotten a movie already. That has nothing to do with the fact that Black Panther bought a movie, right? Those, those are completely separate. And if we, that sort of thinking is a very sort of crabs in the, uh, crabs in the bucket kind of thing, right? One climbs yeah. up, the other one pulls it down. And it, and it works against what we should be moving towards, and that is a more encompassing, more diverse array of media to consume. Um, so, yeah, it, it's also this whole thing of, like, well, who's writing these stories? Who gets to tell these stories? That sort of thing. I'm not particularly – some people are, but I'm not particularly precious about, like, what well, is the director or the writers necessarily from that community? I hope they are. It'd be great. At the very least, I hope they did some good research, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but – 
are they are they being represented well uh, the, the the quality of it i don't know it's it's complicated but i'm excited because i think that marvel has learned a lesson that dc just has not <laughs> and that is and that is that you know different stories are good yeah marvel has a formula but at least they're experimenting with things yeah. iron fist was an experiment it was not a great experiment but it was an experiment right yeah <laughs> So yeah, yeah, I'm I'm happy to see more risk taking because I hate that it's I hate the idea of having leads as people of color is a risk, but that's the world we live in, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that you brought up crabs in a barrel because, huh? Yeah, the way I like the way that the argument is used wrong a lot of the time in TikTok is that like, like that. It's almost like, oh, this is a uh, uh, the this is a, a white law firm, and somebody's applying for the position, and they can only have one minority apply for the position, and it's all the minorities, and then the women too, right, fighting over for that that one scrap. When really, if we're looking at statistics, fifty percent of our heroes should be female. Yeah. Why aren't they yeah. females of all yeah. different colors? Fifty percent should be female, right? Why aren't they? Why are why aren't fifty percent of our our solo movies female? Why, uh, and then if we're looking at again, it depends on whether we're dealing with the international statistics or American statistics. So let me just stick to American if we're telling these stories about America. But basically, sixty uh, percent uh, white, forty uh, percent everyone else. So instead of every minority group scrapping for that 10% for that one movie, Ooh. let's just say, mm-hmm. we should be asking for a bigger piece of the pie to then mm-hmm. split accordingly. Again, that's just dealing with statistics. That's not mm-hmm. even arguing the fact that like, no, now the pendulum should swing that way. It should be, let, let's show more diversity to make up for the years mm-hmm. that that people have been silenced. Mm-hmm. That's like a whole nother thing, but you know, definitely uh, worth, worth the talk. Uh, mm-hmm. But the crab in the barrel mentality isn't serving anyone's benefit. Well, it is serving one is. group. Yeah, terrible. Right. One, <laughs> one, and, and, and one at a time. That that be like the, the right. yeah, yeah. The white community can say they're 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 absolutely fine in, in, in where they are, and yeah. whilst they are happy, they are serving one community at a time. So it's just like, okay, cool. Yes, the white community, the black community are fine. Every other community. Uh, will then now have naturally because of the way that the system is set up will have some sort of disdain or um, resentment towards like the Black Panther movie because they have yeah. not had like an equivalent movie set in, right. in their respective country uh, but yeah, yeah you're right like it, it, I, but how I always like I say this so, so often like how I always see representation that it's it's never a case of um, one at a time and it's never a case of remove this to include this it's quite literally just expanding outwards rather than upwards it's creating mm-hmm. more seats at the table rather than just replacing the seats each time okay cool Black Panther side this time now we're going to just not make a Black Panther movie and we're going to just focus on making uh, making sure that we make like some sort of Mexican superhero movie and it's like mm-hmm. we should have a Mexican superhero movie but not at the detriment of other culture and other, other pieces yeah. of content right the, the, the actual the, if if, if if we're looking at it as like one big pie and the majority of the pie has been the white-led films, the solution isn't just, okay, within this tiny bracket with that is people of colour films, we, we've replaced the mm-hmm. black one with the... I mean, we, we remain inside this. No, the whole pie just needs to get bigger where the, that where our slice is then naturally bigger. Therefore, everyone mm-hmm. can eat. Like Now there are more seats at the table. Now more people can eat 
and everyone's happy. That's all I see it as. Yeah. I don't think you know, challenging what's already been made is, is the way to do it. It's more just expanding it. Yeah, right. it's not like so another seat at the right table out. is a good. Yeah. Uh, uh, sorry, Gabe. What was that? I was going to say it's not like they're making only one movie at a time here. Right. right? They're like, making four a year. <laughs> right. Right. And, and Lord knows how many are in like pre-production and all that other kind of stuff. And yeah, no, absolutely. And also, we've been making superhero movies. Geez, since at least like the seventies, I want to say was that yeah. that was the the Christopher Reeve era of uh, of uh, Superman, right? So yeah, if right. we have nothing but twenty years of all heroes of color, we're still not tipping the balance to to, to parity, right? <laughs> no. So yeah, right. Um, I did get really frustrated. I had mixed feelings about like so. I love Robbie Reyes, the the Ghostwriter in the comics, yeah. right? Mm. Um, and then they adapted them for Agents of Shield, and that was a little frustrating, but it was better that it was a step in the right direction and then they were going to yeah. give him his own show i think on hulu and then they didn't i was like oh, yeah you're almost yeah come on, guys almost, yeah. Come on. of shield is an yeah. interesting one because like i feel like i believe yeah. early early ways agents of shield was i pull my uh like it was that sort of era of marvel and then there was at some point within his later seasons or it's like midway through its season it, it, it shifted and then like i don't remember the the the, the showrunner towards the end was but it was like an asian woman who was like sort of mm. the, the head of, of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and some of the other oh, yeah. shows. And as soon as she came in, all of a sudden, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was like the most diverse show you've ever... Like, yeah, they did they, they, uh, Ghost Rider. They, they, they kind of, I guess, sidelined Robbie Reyes to just an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. character, despite how great he is in the comics. But like within mm-hmm. the realm of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Ghost Rider, like within that season, Ghost Rider was like a, a, a primary mm-hmm. character. Uh, yeah. and, they, and they shifted the focus from... From Coulson to Quake, immediately mm-hmm. now, like now, this this Asian lead is our main character. Uh, all of these uh, the the original characters in Melinda May and and and, uh, uh, and Agent Mac and all these other like people of color that weren't even comic book characters, but they are now main characters because this one woman has just said, "Yeah, we could focus on this white guy that you already created that like everyone saw die on screen, or he could be one of the many characters that right. are happening." Mm-hmm. With the- of color and the, and yeah. Yeah, way Marvel have kind of been like a hey, Marvel Marvel TV can have this character because the movies probably you know, make a lot of money in the movies. Whereas realistically, mm-hmm. a Quake movie or a Ghost Rider movie about Daisy Johnson and about um, Robbie Reyes would probably be amazing. You do not care like what ethnicity yeah. uh, you, you choose. Uh, so just the fact that it's, it's the TV versus movie thing kind of what what what. Bugs me a lot by Agents of Shield. They picked a lot of characters. And I was like, ah, oh, I would have liked to see a movie version of you, mm-hmm. but I'm so happy that within the realm of the TV, yeah. within the realm of the show, you're still a primary focus. And that's very mm-hmm. largely thanks to the producer whose name I cannot remember. <laughs> I, I, when you brought up uh, the idea of a, a Quake movie, I thought, man, remember that time Anson Mount was going to be with Indian humans and that was almost a thing? And then. Right. Uh, yeah. I really I did a good uh, job of wiping that from my memory. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. I'd 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 love Anson Mount's work. I love Hell on Wheels. He was a great actor. Yeah. And then yeah. that that hurt. Uh, <sighs> anyway. That is, yeah, that's best not to think about. Let's move on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh uh Margo Margo Oh sorry, Margo brought up like more female superheroes not wearing heels to battle and and if and if tying their hair to fight like in Mar- uh, in Harley Quinn's Margot Robbie movie in the Birds of Prey movie, I'm assuming uh, they tie their hair up and they don't wear heels to fight. That's good. These yeah. steps in the right direction. Ro- roller skates. <laughs> That's yeah. How I uh, 
Uh, Rob out there says, what's the racial breakdown of movie ticket and Netflix sales? So are we talking uh, like Netflix views on, on characters of color and also movie ticket sales? The thing about the Marvel Cinematic Universe is nothing is in a vacuum. So it all kind of builds up, right? One could say that if Black Panther came out years ago without the Marvel Cinematic Universe to prop it up, would it have done as well? I don't know. We don't know. That's a what if. Captain Marvel sales rival Captain America sales, I believe, as far as ticket sales for movies, yeah. right? right. That's um, what I mean. but almost, almost, yeah. almost for number, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And, and Black Panther is one of the highest grossing, right? Mm-hmm. Does Netflix you know? release their numbers? I don't know. I don't think they do. I don't think they do. I don't, I don't yeah, think they do. They oh, know yeah. their numbers. They, they know, know they, they don't know. release them. But whenever they do the, the statistic roundup, I feel, I'm fairly certain it's like an, an annoying thing that Netflix always is just like outside of the conversation. We're like, you, you don't yeah. have to know. That's fine. It's like, yeah. let us know the numbers, but Netflix is always like, hey, hey, who's that loser watching Lord of the Rings 300 times in 2020? That was like a real thing. They were like, who's that guy? And we're like, that's not what we want to know right now, man. Like, yeah. let us know the stats. Yeah. You know, well, it's the you know what it is is Netflix is not releasing their numbers so that they can just tell, hey, you know what, you write us a check and we'll tell you how big. That's what the numbers are. That's yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. One thing, one thing I am concerned about, and we'll see how this goes with like uh, the new Black Panther movie, Wakanda Forever, is okay. um, do they become complacent in the long run? So they do these big, you know, pieces, the the that sort of stuff, and. Uh, there's a temptation to, and we see this sometimes with like protests in real life where folks make a big gesture and then they stop. So that momentum isn't carried forward in a meaningful way. And it's like a certain kind of complacency. It's like, well, okay, you have a family member you don't really like talking to. You call them once a year because it scratches that itch. You don't feel guilty about it. Then you move on and do something else. Will these movies, will these properties become that way, right? Um it almost sort of felt that way with the difference between Captain Marvel in uh, in Captain Marvel versus in Endgame, right? Mm-hmm. The sort of things that were addressed with the character and the extent to which that she appeared and what her her mo was and all that kind of stuff. Um, and obviously, the the shooting schedule for that was a bit intermingled, and so it's not exactly the right comparison. But as seeing it on the screen, that's a little bit what it feels like. So, will we address this a little bit before? But Will the momentum be carried forward, or is this like a hey, we check that box and we keep on moving yeah. in another direction? Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, I was afraid that Sam Wilson would just be relegated to Disney Plus until the mm. next Avengers movie. I was afraid he yeah. wouldn't get a solo movie, and now he's mm. going to get a solo movie, which is great. But kind of with the check mark, where it's like well, we did Sam Wilson right, we can move him and like bury him now, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I I don't know. The lineup for Marvel looks pretty good, though, as far as like uh, everything you know being said. Uh, Terrell, what do you want to say? No, I was gonna say, well, I mean, with, with Sam Wilson first of all, like I hope he gets a trilogy. If I'm being honest, uh, the mm-hmm. Falcon yeah. was a great expression of his character. I want him to have just as much screen time and focus and and celebration that Steve Rogers did. If, if we're going in that direction, if you're giving him a movie, don't make it a one and done. Like you, mm-hmm. you established something great here. Now it's the movie. Don't don't be like, oh, we've had we've had the show and the movie. You want another one? No, 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 The show, like like you said, Gabe was was the side story. This is the meat, and this is the right. meat potatoes. Yeah, give me yeah. the full trilogy. And also, don't uh, now that you've tackled a serious theme of race, don't leave that like locked away in a box mm-hmm. in the Disney Plus universe. Like, bring, yeah, bring that into the movies. Like people enjoyed, mm-hmm. um, well, at least you know, 
got something from from consuming it in Falcon and Soldier, they'll get it tenfold in in movie format. Um, mm-hmm. But it sounds like what you were saying, game about like Marvel becoming like will they become complacent uh, with their stories? Yeah. I was definitely I was kind of worried about that with Black Panther. I was part of me was concerned yeah. that they were not going to make a Black Panther sequel at all until they confirmed it. I was like, okay, cool, they did this big story in Africa. Are they done? Is he just going to be an Avenger now? And then there's no more Black Panther movie. Sure, um, yeah. I and like now that like sort of Sam's getting his own movie, obviously Wanda is going to be a primary character in uh, a Doctor in Doctor Strange: Multiverse of Madness. Will these Disney Plus characters? Because really, the, the lot a big chunk of the diversity for Phase Four is actually with the Dis- Disney Plus shows, probably more than the movies. Um, mm-hmm. Bar like Bar uh, Shang Chi and the Eternals, but will the diversity will will that positivity much like with the Agents of Shields time period? Will it just be you know stuck in that realm? where they feel like things are safer and they feel like they can take a little more risks. But when it comes to movies, yeah. they still, they kind of like, mm-hmm. we, we just about got a Black Panther. Can we, can we double down for, for, for uh, another big cultural movement? Um, so far, so good, I guess, with the current lineup. But yeah, I, yeah I'm still kind of a bit worried. Uh, keep in mind, Ryan Coogler is still on to direct a Black Panther sequel yeah. and the Wakanda show. There's going to be a mm. Wakanda show. Uh, I believe it's called Kingdom of Wakanda, but it could just be untitled for right now. And that could be. I think it's like a placeholder title for now. Yeah. Yeah. Did y'all ever see the the Black Panther TV show from like the early two thousands? The animated show. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've, yeah, I've, yeah. I've seen uh, maybe the first episode. How many episodes were there? What many? I don't think. It was almost no, like a motion know. comic, right? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, was, it was based on that relative comic, but they just basically yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. super bloody. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it'd be wild if they took notes from that. Um, one thing that I'm excited, uh, cautiously excited, it's hard to be excited about things because, and I explained this to a student of mine recently, they asked, what do I do? I said, well, I, I, I take the things we love and find out why they're terrible. Um, and then they immediately asked me to not watch Bridgerton. Uh, so, (laughs) so I might be doing that this summer. Um, but I'm I'm cautiously optimistic about the Black Widow movie because I hope that they're setting up. I think it's Yelena Belova. Yeah, Yelena Belova. Yeah, Belova. Yeah, yeah. It's these names. Um, I always uh, trip over them, but uh, that hopefully they'll take that character and address things that they should have done with Black Widow, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, now that they've got now that it seems like Marvel has a little bit of courage when it comes to dealing with this stuff, so. Like I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that they'll set her up to be the next Black Widow, and then actually talk, like, delve into some things other than that weird thing that Joss Whedon did with like the forced sterilization, and but that that was odd. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, Joss Whedon, Joss Whedon is when you brought up an, the the idea that like yeah, uh, different. Okay, so like uh, uh, like Ryan Coogler. Uh, Ryan Coogler is African American. He's directing a movie about Africans. Uh, we 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 kind of we assume that, but then when we have uh, 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 a movie that's female led, but then like Ocean's Eight, that's that's like male directed and male written, then it might not mm-hmm. end up as great if we don't have that. But then like. It's not a tick for tack thing. It's not it's like you got to take case by case. I guess mm-hmm. Joss Whedon is a good example of like a guy who comes in being like, I know how to write how to write women, and like 
he writes that abomination of Black Widow. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 He got him with false confidence. He 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 had success with Buffy and was like, I am the ultimate female, male female director. Yeah. Like I can right. handle anything now and completely tripped on himself. Um, right. It's like besides what you're saying that game, like does every like project need to have like their reflected characters like um representation behind the camera? Like does the, like does the director of every female in the film have to be a woman? Does the director of every black film have to be a, a, a black person? And I read like no, but there should be someone at least like yeah. in the room. Um, I think I think that across the board in any that's not just movies. I think that across the board in any uh, mm-hmm. in workplace environment, there should be at least someone in the yeah. room in that in that decision making uh, process. Even, like, even if they're not the decision maker, they are there to be listened to at least to be like mm-hmm. like yeah. if you're 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 shooting a uh, uh, Black Panther movie and I mean God forbid Ryan Coogler doesn't. Uh, like say he say he doesn't direct it, and for some whatever reason they get a white director on board. Should they go ahead with that? Um, maybe they they do a costume cho- uh, choice, or or they're doing something to do with food scenes, or very specific things where the nuance of blackness is actually crucial to it. A white director might not catch these things. They need at least the black cinematographers to be like, hold on a second, no, that yeah. wouldn't happen like this. I thought that with like with Soul. With this, the Pixar mm-hmm. movie, oh, there's the, the I love the nuance. I'm like Pete, Do- Pete Docter directed it. He is a, a white man, but um, I can't remember who the, the co-director, co-director's name was. But like at the very least, he was there to be like actually there was that you know the scene. I don't know if you've seen it. This this the scene where uh, Jamie Foxx's character has to get like a haircut. Uh, well, he he was he has to get ready for like a job uh, performance. It's like okay, every black person knows that before we go to any sort of event, where we need to look good somewhere. The outfit is like secondary to the haircut. The haircut's the most important part of the whole <laughs> experience. And the nuance has been like, no, no, no. This black character would do this first. And like that tiny detail that like is a make or break thing, but like uh in terms of representation, like that's incorrect. You need to yeah. have at least someone there to make sure you're going in the right direction. Maybe not helming it, but at least yeah. make sure that there's someone in the room. You have a diverse room to steer it in the right way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Poop yeah. 34 in the comments says Anthony Mackie talks about the staff and crew on Marvel sets being like 95% white and yeah. it, that it wasn't until his show that he saw diversity in the studio crew. Um, mm-hmm. um, I mean, that's that's a definite thing. Also, he brings uh, Poop 34 brings up uh, that person needs to have immunity from being fired, which means that they're on the writing staff or whatever in a decision-making process, being heard is the biggest thing. If like if they get fired, if they get whatever, you know, there are are cases of women being, you know, like being not listened to, being fired when on on women led project or not women led projects, but about women, Uh, you know, and and same thing goes with minorities Uh, Mm. being listened to is the big thing. I was laughing to myself about Harry Potter and how (laughs) how how was something very specific is the the Patel twins. In Harry Potter, like I didn't even notice it because uh, 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 because it's not specifically my culture, but but that they're saris. We have saris in Sri Lanka, but it's a little bit different. But the point being is uh, uh, that they're just, they're just kind of janky uh, costumes made yeah. by n- people not of that culture, being like, yeah, 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 this is what the Patel twins would wear. Yeah, that's what. And like, there's a character named Cho Chang, but like nobody's yep. named Co- Cho Chang in real life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who's naming these people? Oh yeah, J.K. Yeah. Rowling. 
Yeah. 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 That's, uh, you know, I completely forgot about the Patel twins until you mentioned them, but yeah, 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 you're right. And the, you know, it's okay. Lovecraft country was a show on HBO, I think last summer. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was, sorry, my daughter just came to the door. (laughs) Um, uh, so Lovecraft Country was a show on HBO and it was about, you know, um, uh, black folks basically being the heroes of a Lovecraft story. And for anyone who's listening who doesn't know, Lovecraft, notoriously racist and bigoted. And I've heard that later in life, he like recanted a little bit, but also he wrote a bunch of stories where, hold on a second. Yeah, come in. Are you coming in? Is he trying to? You can let her in, it's fine. Sorry. Um, but... He, he hated black folk, and so they told the story that, you know, centered black people, but it was based off of a book by a fellow named Mark, uh, Matt Ruff, who is a white American male, and the characters were a little, you want to say hi? You want to say hi? Hello. Hi. Hi. Hello. Oh, <laughs> right so cute. All right, Mia. All right, here you go. Um, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> I <apologize>. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, adorable. I was trying to make trying yeah. to make a salient point about racism, but my kids just <laughs> all right. That's fine. Um, <laughs> Matt, I think the author's name is Matt Ruff, who wrote Lovecraft Country, and he is a white mm-hmm. feller. Um, and he, the characters are they don't they don't or seem like the black folk that I'm used to, but he told an effective story, right? And he told a story that was humanizing and that was, um, you know made a good point they could then lead to be made into something that was effective like lovecraft country yeah can y'all hear me okay my headphones yeah 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 Yeah. no something switched but i can i can hear you fine all right i'm gonna plug the other one in yeah um yeah um and so uh i mean we do we do have to wrap up because i know that that terrell's over there is like dead at night now right yeah (laughs) Yeah, that's right he's getting later and later for eight hours ahead um uh, I just want to read off real quick kind of what the slate is for Marvel and kind of the things that we have looking forward to. And, like, we can keep in mind, like, like obviously uh, not all of these are minority characters, but, like, there is a good slate of them. Uh, and especially the new properties like Fantastic Four and, like, X-Men's not slated. But, like, when X-Men finally comes around, like, what would that lineup be like? But, I mean, we obviously got Black Widow. Then we got Shang-Chi. Uh, which I'm very excited for because Simu Liu is amazing on Kim's Convenience and like he seems like such a nice guy and Kim's Convenience is just such a great show. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we got Eternals, which is Chloe Chloe Zhao, uh, her movie uh, with a very diverse cast, which is very cool. Uh, we got Spider-Man No Way Home. We got Doctor Strange, normal superhero stuff. Thor. Uh, then we got Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Uh, then we got The Marvels, which is going to be three female leads, as far as I know. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Brie Larson, uh, uh, Tiana Paris, and uh, uh, um, I forget Miss Marvel's actress. Uh, uh, She's Imam a Bilani. new up-and-comer. Yes, yes. And she has her solo series coming in, leading her into that. Monica Rambeau with, you know, Tiana Paris coming in from WandaVision. And then, uh, you know, so it's almost like, in my opinion, it's kind of a gr- uh, grandma-mother-daughter situation. Like Carol Danvers, okay. even though she looks young, she was friends with Monica Rambeau's mother, right? Oh, yeah. So it's almost like a grand or an aunt, let's just say yeah. an aunt, 
uh, uh, mother daughter kind of age gap kind of thing. Um, then we have Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantumania, which is probably you know the same good old fun that we've had with Paul Rudd. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three, and then Fantastic Four that doesn't have an actual date, but who knows? They, you know. And then we got Loki, we got What If, we got Hawkeye, we got Miss Marvel, we got Moon Knight, we got She Hulk, Secret Invasion, which stars Samuel Jackson, Ironheart, which is which is um, uh, uh, Riri, uh, mm-hmm. Armor Wars, which is Rhodey. Uh, we got a Wakanda show. We got a Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special, and then Echo. Like Echo is already slated to have her own show, and she hasn't even come out in Hawkeye yet. And and she is a character of color that is she's what both native she is she Native American and and Mexican uh, Mexican. and Mexican Mexican, yeah yeah. you know and so yeah it's a lot better the slate is a lot better and if they continue what they've been doing in Falcon Winter Soldier things are going to look up uh, be on the up and up as far as female characters and characters of color and female characters of color you know mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. A, a good chunk of that is that which i think is going to be awesome uh do you guys have any thoughts about the upcoming slate uh before we get going i'm i'm very excited about the slate i'm primarily excited like obviously like i, I, I want representation across the board i am primarily excited because it, as far as the disney plus shows goes and a few and a few of the movies is that it's heavily women of color which i feel like in if you i mean it's not again it's not like a, a that's a competition but if you look at the the least represented and probably the most like marginalized sort of uh, group when it comes to media and most offended group when it comes to media it is women of color that that, that intersection of women of color uh in the media is something that's not talked about we talk about those two things as, as, as separate entities people of color and, and mm-hmm. feminism when you're a woman of color and you're experiencing both at the exact same time that is massively daunting and the fact that they're just and they're turning around and they're like actually yeah predominantly this this next wave of not just phase four but this next wave of marvel is bringing those women to the forefront and not in a way where people can be like it's forced diversity it's like no, no 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 these characters are are, are proven <laughs> badasses in their own right whether it's the comics or whether they've already had their introduction in the mcu like monica like they are they're ready to handle their own i'm, I'm negative just for like not just like the mcu but like i hope the mcu's doing this with these characters inspires other studios not just in the superhero world, but like other movie studios in general to actually look at women of color and realize how marginalized and how like completely ignored and disregarded they are and have been and put those stories at the forefront. And that that then would inspire much more uh, realistic portrayals of these characters uh, and allow more diversity. And just, I don't know, I feel like the women, introducing more stories of women of color just opens the door more than from like any... Of like mm. a man of a male of color would in general, it yeah. means that uh, the the least the, the most ignored member of that of of that uh, group, the, the primary groups that we look at, can make money and be successful and can inspire so many people. That means anybody's stories can be told. Um, they're, they're already doing disabilities, uh, and I hope that I think Marvel's biggest flaw is is Jewish erasure. I hope they they completely. Stop that! They did it with um, with with one the Maximoff. I hope that they don't do that. Do that going forward. I hope that different characters' religions are actually addressed. Um, because that's yeah. really part of some of the identities. I know um, Kamala Khan's Muslim religion is going to be addressed. I think that's the first time in the MCU that someone's religion has actually been 
of the dead and what she has, has been a part of their character, or as actually, at least yeah. addressed the character. So just there, just immediately by having a woman of color be there, it's already now, oh, mm-hmm. now we can talk about like a character's religion. They don't have to put their religion as the religion of that story, but mm-hmm. addressing that into part of that character's culture, this inspires so much more different layers of storytelling. There was that one line in, oh, I think it was the first I thing I was going to say. It was a Captain America. When Captain America and and this is Black Widow is like, you know, they're gods. And he goes, there's one god, man, but he doesn't dress like that. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that tickled me so much. But yeah, no, you're right. You're right. You're right. And and um, uh, Moon Knight, there's a story where, uh, where um, Mark Spector, you know, his father's a rabbi and he, like, the beginning of his mental health issues begins with, like, a Nazi that infiltrates the, the the synagogue and like starts is killing Jews and uh yeah. and Mark Spector happens across this as like a 10 year old kid and like that is what where he starts to develop dissociative identity disorder yeah. um so that would be I think an awesome story to tell I'll tell you what though I will give Marvel because I've, I've always got critiques of them but I'll give them all the credit from here to the moon and back if they actually tell the story of the Midnight Angels from Wakanda uh, mm-hmm. Which is Ayo and her romantic yeah. partner, who's uh, from the Dora Milaje. Like that, when they referenced, when they had her in in uh, Black in Falcon um, the Winter Soldier, I thought, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, build that emotional investment in Ayo, and then we're going to get like her and her partner just beating people down in the next. Oh man, but anyway, yeah. I, I yeah. That was my, well, as soon as Io came back, I was like, yes, they didn't forget about Io, which means the story can happen. Like, that was my, my yes. first one was like, they didn't get Okoye, they didn't get Okoye, who like, was established at least is, um, well, that that isn't lesbian, that she had a romantic relationship with Wakabi, but it, it, mm-hmm. it is, you know, uh, straight from what we can tell. Um, mm-hmm. But they're like, no, 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 you'll get Okoye when, when the time is right. You're getting Io yeah. now, because we haven't forgotten about this. Mm-hmm. I feel like when, when people think of the Dora Malaje, they think of Okoye and her friends. It's like no 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 mm-hmm. no no. There was also Io. Don't forget Io. Yeah yeah. 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 Um, uh, uh, I'm I'm excited of what's to come. Uh, I think that like especially when it comes to like female characters of color, it's one of those things like uh, uh, women of color are so uh, are, are are have to deal with so much with that intersection that uh, I feel like they win. Everybody wins. It's like that progression cannot happen without them um, uh, in real life and in fiction. And I mean, I'm personally, I can't wait until Storm comes about because she she's my favorite uh, uh, when they eventually do X-Men. But the slate seems to be, uh, I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic that, they, that uh, they'll do things right and they're moving forward and we're going to have that representation uh, across all, all, all uh, you know, aspects. Um, um, and it, it started off rocky and, uh, homogeneous and now it's, uh, uh, it's getting better. I would say in my, yeah, you know, um, uh, thank you guys so much for coming on the show. Uh, Gabe, uh, Terrell, thank you to the audience out there that's watching. I am so sorry about that technical difficulty. I think it has to do with Streamlabs OBS, and I'm sorry to call out Streamlabs OBS, but uh, you know, uh, if you don't want us talking bad about your your software, uh, give us a sponsorship or something. You know, yeah. let us uh, let us know. Pay us pay us off, and maybe maybe we'll look over this. You know, we can be bought. Um, 
Yeah, I can be biased. Bio silence. Not not my opinions per se, but you know, I could yeah. be. Uh, uh, thank you, Margo. Uh, Margo's out there. Uh, uh, thank you for watching. Thank you, Poop34, for watching. I know Rob was here earlier, and there's a new uh, user, Amy Chibi, who asked a question. Uh, it didn't pertain to uh, this uh, segment, but stay tuned because uh, we talk about all sorts of things on the Keeg. Uh, uh, Gabe, where can we find you? What do you have coming up? Um, um, you know, what, whatever you want to plug. Yeah, so um, I, if I thought about it, I have a book chapter about Black Panther coming out and a book that's coming out and I can't remember the name of it. I'll plug it on TikTok. Anyway, I'm on TikTok. I want to yeah. know. <laughs> I, I, I talk about Killmonger as a, as a hybrid identity and colonialism and all that kind of fun stuff, but the information yeah. fails me. Um I'm on Twitter uh, at Cruz underscore Critcom. I'm on TikTok at Dr. Dot underscore C. I need to get my act together and put these all same brand. Um, and I'm on Instagram <laughs> at, at GA Cruz PhD. Um, yeah, also I teach at the college level, so you, you can find me there too. So I'll take one of my classes, strangers. Yeah, go, go to college. Um, yeah, go to college uh, and take my classes specifically. Anyway, that's me. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, uh, Gabe, for coming on. Terrell, uh, what, what do you got coming up? What do you want to plug? Anything? Social media? Um, so plug, I'd say, well, my Instagram, Terrell Films, T-Y-R-E-L-L, and then Films, F-I-L-M-S. Um, everywhere else would be Theories by T, TikTok, and Twitter. Uh, my personal Twitter is also Terrell Films. But that's just me saying all kinds of random stuff. But my Theories by T t- uh, Twitter is my classic TikTok uh, nerdy brand <laughs> of content. Uh, so that's probably the better place to follow me. And then, yeah, Theories by T on TikTok, Theories by Terrell on YouTube now as well, as of recently. Um, putting, I'll say I'll put my TikToks on shorts as well as some longer form content that I'm experimenting with too. So you can hear me talk about my crap for a lot longer than the 60 seconds TikTok allows, or 59 seconds TikTok allows me to. Right. But yeah, Theories by T, the primary name for everything else. All right. Awesome. Awesome. I forgot that Damn. I have a podcast. You got a podcast? I have a podcast called Office Hours with Dr. C. You can find it on Google, Spotify, and and uh, Apple Podcasts. And uh, my co-host, uh, Mr. Barry Thornburg, who's also a media studies professor, would absolutely give me no end of crap if I didn't plug it. So, yeah, Office Hours with Dr. C. We've got two episodes up. We talk about the X-Men and one of them, the Punisher and the other. And they're, they're relatively short podcasts. So, you know, we don't want to take up too much of your time. But, yeah every Tuesday. All right. right. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, Thank you to the audience out there for watching. Thank you again, Gabe and Terrell for coming on the show. Uh, This is the Keeg Live where we talk about uh, different topics every other week, but we do have other shows on the Keeg. Uh, Normally we have an after show for Marvel shows, but until Loki starts up again, no after shows for that. We have Comic Talk on Thursday nights. We have the Keeg back on on Friday nights. And uh, we also do uh, a lot of Instagram live chats uh, with people. Uh, Gabe Terrell, I would love to have you back on the show again uh, in in some way, shape, or form uh, uh, because you guys have been awesome. Uh, The the amount of discourse has been amazing, and uh, it makes me happy that we have this show so we can talk and connect and create this community of like-minded individuals uh, uh, that kind of learn from each other. Uh, uh, or at least me learning from you guys. I don't know if you learned jack shit from me, but like I'm learning from you guys, which this is this is a good day then uh, for me. I learned so thank you guys so much. Cyclops. Yeah, I was gonna well, say the uh, same yeah. thing. There are cyclists uh, out there. The hidden. <laughs> he, I he has a place. 
He has a place, you know? Sure. They're, they're, sure. He has a role to play in this greater uh, X-Men and Marvel universe. So we shall see. We shall see. Uh, thank you, everybody, uh, for watching. Uh, uh, go follow Terrell. Go follow Gabe uh, at their respective social media because uh, uh, they're awesome. And uh, you're especially going to want to follow them on TikTok like I do. Um, uh, Vicky says I, uh, she's been listening, albeit not commenting. This has been very educational. Thank you. Um, so uh, thank you so much, Vicky, uh, for doing this. And thank you to Volume out there for giving us a platform to be able to, uh, to put this out. So like and follow wherever you guys are watching us. And uh, uh, follow us on Instagram at The Keeg Show, TikTok at The Keeg Show, volume.com slash The Keeg Show. Thank you so much, everybody. Uh, once again, this is The Keeg Live. Uh, I'm your host, Dimitri Pereira. And uh, have a great day. Bye.